0: Everyone and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I hope all of you listening is are preparing for a fun, you know, Turkey Day if you're in America, because I know we are missing a few people from the podcast due to that holiday. My name is Brian Vitale. uh Adam is not here today; he is in the middle of traveling. Uh, joining me, we do have a few of the regular crew. We've got Josh Torres, Super Saiyan Shaggy's Cannon. We've got James Galizio. A. Hey, Fultz. And joining us once again for the first time in a few weeks, we've got Chow Wu.
1: How's it going?
0: I guess this also means we're missing George again. I, I miss that dude. I miss that goofball.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he, he's, he, yeah, he's uh, uh, just for a little behind the scenes, like uh, George has kind of moved on to other outlets. He still will be here, here and there on the on the podcast, but, you know, he has other obligations as he's like, you know, working for multiple outlets now.
0: Yeah, and uh, he also just recently moved, so he might still be doing stuff on that as well. He is tied up. He is busy in either case. So obviously for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the big November release of Shin Megami Tensei and a few other releases such as uh, James's dive into Undernauts uh, last week, which I assume uh, you're working on. Are you going to be reviewing that for us, James?
3: Yes, uh, I finished it up and I'm going to uh, get the review uh, written up this weekend. All right, so we'll probably table
0: that for next week once you've got your final thoughts kind of collected and written up. Uh but we do have a well, couple re- hmm? yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I I finished the game. I just haven't done the post game. Uh are you going to do that before the uh review? Uh probably not um because uh I'm actually away from my Xbox at the moment, and I played uh, it on Xbox. So plus, we are all we're all crunched for time as we kind of talk about
0: repeatedly going into the end of the year. Uh, but there were a couple releases in this last week. One of them uh, a surprise out of nowhere, and a couple of them we were expecting. Uh, and the big one for the the week, well, maybe you don't agree with this, but I'm going to say it anyway is the uh, the Pokemon remasters. We got Pokemon Shining Pearl and Brilliant Diamond. So uh, I know that. Some of us have been looking forward to these. Some of us have been not looking forward to these. There's been a lot of leaks. There's been a lot of uh, pre-release discussion for those games. But I do know that uh, James has been putting time into them, and he's been uh, maybe a dozen or so hours into the remasters. So to start out, I will just hand it off to him to talk about his experience so far, at least, with the Pokemon Shining Pearl and Brilliant Diamond Generation
3: 4 uh, remakes. Right, so when these remakes first got announced, there was a lot of um disappointment because previously, when a game was remade, it was brought up to the visual quality and kind of feature set of the Pokemon generation that was current at the time. So like when Red and Blue got remade as Fire Red and Leaf Green, they were brought in line with generation 3's like graphical presentation at the time when um gold and Silver remade they were brought in like up to par with um generation four's uh graphical presentation at the time and same thing with generation three so when brilliant diamond and shining pearl got announced as remakes and they were top down very traditional like remakes of the original games versus what we have seen in the past where i guess Technically, except for Omega Ruby, off Sapphire was like the same thing because back then they were still top down. But when Generation 8, when Sword and Shield made such a big deal about going full 3D, having stuff like the wild area and whatnot, a lot of people, well, at least I saw a lot of people very disappointed that Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were still very clearly cut from the same cloth. Maybe that's not the best way of putting it. They were expecting it to have a bit more of a radical departure just because of how the series has progressed. Um, I was one of those people, but over time, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, this is the first mainline Pokemon game that's actually not being developed by, or hasn't been developed by Game Freak. Uh, this time around, it was developed by Ilka. I don't know what else they've done. I think they've done support work on a lot of games previously. Yeah, I sure. do.
0: I do remember that we talked about this on a previous podcast when we were talking about its unique art style. we were talking <laughs> about how this was kind of the the change that the Pokemon Company or Monsters or Creatures, Inc., or whoever's in charge, uh, needed to do if they were going to start working on multiple games and still kind of keep like this weird uh, yeah. annual release cadence. Because obviously, uh, Ilka developed these remakes while Pokemon Company is, and Game Freak is working on Arceus for next year.
3: Yeah, which I think presumably is Generation... Uh, presumably Generation Nine, though who knows whenever that's gonna come out because it's like mm-hmm. if Arceus is next year, it's like, okay, well, what are they gonna have for the holiday title? Because it always a holiday Pokemon title. Well, Pokemon it sleep,
2: it's finally time. Mm-hmm.
3: But anyways. Over as I mentioned in the past, over time I've kind of come to appreciate the decision making that went into being like okay so we're gonna have a new studio start working on remakes and being like a kind of the call of duty approach where you have different studios juggling different releases so each studio gets a longer development um, cycle but obviously when you do that there needs to be an onboarding project like obviously like even with call of duty back when they uh before they really had these different studios working on their own, they would have them as support studios for other Call of Duties, and then once they got used to the workflow, then they would be given their own project. And I feel like that's something that we're seeing with Hilka here. So, they were given Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, because these are games that have already been made, and by remaking them, it's like you have asset creation, of course, though most of the Pokemon models are already made. But... It's an easier project, if that makes sense.
0: I looked it up just now, just to provide some context to myself. Uh, They did work on Pokemon Home, and then some of the some of the projects they assisted on were all kind of all over the place. Uh, Yakuza Zero, Dragon Quest XI, Nier Automata. So I don't know to what extent they assisted on those, uh, but this is according to a Nintendo Life article back when these remakes were first released or first announced.
3: Anyways, so enough rambling. I'm still pretty early on in the remakes, and there are some issues that a lot of people have had with regards to it being based off of Diamond and Pearl and not Platinum, which... I was going to ask four, about that, but I will, I will let you go on. So, Generation 4 was kind of infamous, because Diamond Pearl themselves, while they were great games, I still think they're great games, they had a lot of issues with them. Uh, One of the major ones was the pacing. For whatever reason, they were very slow-paced. Your walking speed was slow, your surfing speed was slow, battles took longer, and the games themselves just felt very slow-paced. And Platinum fixed a lot of that. Um, One of the other things they fixed is that the... Pokemon variety in Sinnoh, at least with Diamond and Pearl, was pretty poor. It was, like, infamous in the sense that if you wanted to have a fire Pokemon, you either had to choose the fire starter, or you had to catch a Ponyta. Because those were the only two fire-type Pokemon you could get before the post-game. You're, like, this is, like, a nostalgia bomb for me. Like, I remember that. I remember thinking, like, there are so few fire-types in this game. There's, like, none. Yeah. So... Platinum fixed things up by adding a few more Pokemon from the National decks into the Sinnoh Pokedex, including some extra Fire-type Pokemon. And so, ever since Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, there's been some discontent in the Pokemon fanbase about how, okay, so Harkle and SoulSilver, they incorporated... The elements of Pokémon Crystal into the games. It had the Crystal storyline, it had the Crystal content, and sure, you could say, well, Crystal itself wasn't actually that big of a departure from Gold and Silver, which it really wasn't, but there was an expectation that Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire would incorporate the stuff from Emerald. They did not. So there was always some worry when Br- uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were announced that, oh, well, it's kind of important that there's the platinum content in this game, in these games, because there were some very real issues with the original Diamond and Pearl. Unfortunately, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl don't, for the most part, incorporate the platinum content. But that's not as big of an issue as it might think you might think at first. Because um one of the things they did do is they expanded the underground. So in Diamond and Pearl you had the underground which was kind of an extension of the secret base system from generation 3 where you can like explore underneath the Sinnoh region, you can mine for stuff and you can find things like evolutionary stones, like heart scales, you can build up secret bases, you can play online and the underground and all that. And it was an interesting distraction, not a huge deal. I feel like most people played in it played around with it for like a few hours and then pretty much never touched it again because it was like a A distraction, but beyond that, it didn't really add too much to the experience. They've expanded it greatly with uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shiny Pearl. Uh, First off, the underground itself is much, much larger than it was in the original games. And in fact, to compensate, well, to account for that, it's called the Grand Underground now. And there's even little pockets where you can find wild Pokemon and different Pokemon can spawn there that might not necessarily be found in the Dex normally. So you can find other fire-type Pokemon there. You can find, like, Houndour. You can find, I think, Vulpix or, or uh, Growlithe, depending on your version. Uh, you can, in your secret base, you can set up these statues you can find while excavating walls, which, if you place them down, will increase the spawn rate for different types of Pokemon which you can then um take into account for when you're exploring the different pockets, the different dens in the grand underground in order to like build up your team with pokemon that you otherwise wouldn't be able to find in generation 4 at least before the post game. And um overall it's a lot more fun. It's um a great extension of what the system was before and even though I haven't gotten to the post game yet, one of the things I do know about it is that in order to access Verminous Park or use the facilities in it you have to get certain um certain um slates from the grand underground that you randomly excavate so even if you you don't care about the new changes to pokemon can find in there if you want to if you want to do the post game you actually have to uh interact with the Grand Underground, and it makes it feel like it's a much more integral part of the experience. And that's were, a really... You were cool
2: mentioning thing. earlier, like how the original releases felt really slow. Walk speed was slow, surfing was slow. Does does this uh, no, release no. fix those? No.
3: No, I mean it does fix it. Oh, okay, Basically, okay. Uh, that was like the one thing I was never worried about. And honestly, besides the visuals, I feel like I've always been a. I've always felt that. Well, most of Diamond and Pearl's problems, like, are the the Pokemon variety, which from the very beginning we kind of knew that was going to be somewhat fixed with the Grand Underground, and the Speed, which has been fixed because they're never going to make that mistake again. <laughs> um, but don't get me wrong, I love Platinum, it's still probably my favorite game in the series, but a lot of the additions that it brought to the formula aren't actually that major like the battle frontier was the main one but stuff like oh you can get a bunch more legendary pokemon every pokemon game now allows you to do that it's like who cares
0: well for me i spent a ton of time in platinum growing up like uh platinum was the last pokemon game i really put a lot of time into and i got like the the black trainer card or whatever because i did like everything uh i guess i burned myself out for like a decade or more you know 16 years how long has it been
3: since platinum i don't want to look it up uh but Uh, i think that was 2009 or was it 2008 one of those yeah so it came out 2009 all
0: right so i actually was a bit older then i guess that's why i went like gung-ho and doing all the challenges and all the completionist stuff uh but i never put a lot of time into diamond or pearl so i don't actually have like a good latch on specifically what are the differences between um Diamond Pearl and and what platinum added. So I don't know like If if when you tell me that these remakes are based on Diamond Pearl and not Platinum, I don't know what that means. So I would have to like play it and like try to notice like what is absent here? What is not how I remember it? Uh, I do remember before these remakes released, people were trying to like scrutinize the screenshots to see like where certain NPCs were located in certain cities and being like, aha, this is a this person's in their Platinum position. Maybe this game is actually based on Platinum. But I guess what you're telling me is that
3: it's not they are based on Diamond and Pearl. Yeah. So overall, it doesn't matter too much because again, like I feel like a lot of people just have rose tinted glasses about platinum being like, oh man, this, this is something I love about Generation 4. So it has to be exclusive to platinum when most of the time it's, it's not, it's just, <laughs> you, you hear, you've you heard for so long people talking about, oh, Diamond and Pearl were bad and then platinum made it great. And it's like, no, it's not so much like that. It's like, <laughs> diamond and pearl were still great games it was just issues with the pacing and the pokemon variety that really held them back and that stuff that it's fixed by these remakes yeah
0: not not beholden to be platinum version to do that
3: yeah so anyways i'm enjoying it um having a good time uh probably i'll definitely have more thoughts next week once i'm uh, further along
2: for future like remakes or re-releases of older games, would you like them to stick to this sort of like chibi art style that's kind of a more,
3: uh, I don't know, evolved version of what you would see like in the older Pokemon games, I guess? I don't know. I I feel like there is merit in trying something different with remakes, but if they're going to be doing stuff like the Pokemon Legends series, and maybe they're going to be more like gutsy or ballsy with um, messing around with oh here's like a Pokemon region what can we do with it I think having a more traditional remake while also having a side series for something that's not really a remake but more of like a reimagining there's, um, there's some merit there if that makes sense Okay,
2: alright yeah I- I've seen people enjoy the, uh, these re releases I
3: haven't really heard too much about like you know this they- is going to be a hot take Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying these more than the Mo- uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire.
2: All right, okay, yeah. Same
0: I do wonder how e- I do wonder how extensive the post game will be because I remember uh, I always have to pull back like p- a decade plus because that's how long I've been since getting early into Pokemon. But the Fire Red Leaf Green Game Boy Advance games, I remember those mm-hmm. like the post game took me twice as long as the main game. But of course, they were based on you know Red and Blue. Or red and
3: green, so they didn't have much of a base game. They had a very, very straightforward campaign, or whatever yeah, you want to call it. It's funny because everyone like always talks about oh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver is the best remakes. They add the most, but if you actually look at what they added, they added the least. Like Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire added more to the to Ruby and Sapphire, and like Fire Red and Leaf Green by and far added the most to Generation One, just because like the Sevii Islands are basically a region in and of itself.
0: And I remember a lot of those islands, you had to be like, remember like the old mystery gift system where you had to like go to a game spot and download like a, a ticket or whatever to get access to island
3: seven, eight and nine or, or something like that. My, my memory's is um, on those. It, it was, it was, um, it was um, islands eight and nine and that was for Deoxys and Lugia or Hoho respectively, I think. So I have
0: a really dumb anecdote. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm sharing this now, but it's on top of my head. I remember for the DS, it did not support um, most Wi-Fi security protocols. It only just, it only supported, I think WPA. I don't remember quite all the acronyms. So what what I had to do is that I would have to like go to our router at home when I was a kid and like disable the security to, in order to be able to access the internet on my DS to get those like mystery tickets or whatever. So I just that's that's how gung-ho i was right until platinum and then at that point i just i don't know i had gotten my fill of pokemon so i haven't played it since but it's cool to see that there is uh some surprisingly good qualities to these remakes i know that i think people were just kind of looking for a reason to hate on them and the and the leaks were pre day one patch pre
3: uh yeah we should we should probably talk about that a bit (laughs) um not too long but basically these are the first Pokemon games where there is an actual day one patch that drastically impacts the game. <laughs> like, aspects of the post-game were not playable without the day one patch. Half the music in the game were just literally the same midis from the original games that lapped into the game until the day one patch, which added in the rest of the remixes. There was not an opening movie until the day one patch. There was a ton of graphical glitches and um, bugs before the day one patch. And it's just, this, that definitely didn't help the perception of the games, like, um, leading up to launch. Because when you have somebody playing a game, like, over a week early, talking about it, and, like, obviously with Pokemon, regardless of, like, what Nintendo or the Pokemon company wants to happen, they always get leaked, like, at least a, a week ahead of time. And it's always going to be the leaks that really kind of sets the tone for things. So when the game is unfinished without the day one patch, it just like lots of people just saw the leaks and are like, Oh man, that's really disappointing. Even though what they would actually be playing, assuming they have Wi Fi, which in this day and age, I mean, you'll at least have access to a connection long enough to download the patch. Yeah. Just uh, very unfortunate, um, situation there hopefully enough people have heard that yeah the patch fixes things up it's actually a decent remake now though it it is a rough situation
2: it It, it reminds me you know going back all the way to like the xbox one launch of like there there, there are definitely some people that just live in remote regions that don't have easy access to you know like a network connection of any kind yeah i don't
3: disagree with that i'm just saying that it's like I feel like it's reasonable to say that people can find a place to download a singular patch. It's not like they have to always be online. It's just download the patch, and and not even that. If they have a friend that has like a like Wi-Fi at their house, they can literally just say, "Hey, can you come over if your Switch?" and then you can share the update data that way because you can share it locally.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things that's like it's 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 a hard like thing to like solve for those like for for those use cases because those cases are getting like more minimal and minimal as time goes on and whatnot, but it, because, like, the reality of game development these days is, like,
3: things really come in hot, and, like, we're yeah.
2: trying to get dev work done, like, you
3: know, especially by the during, Especially during COVID, like, in yeah. the majority of this game's development must have been during COVID.
0: Yeah. And we we talked about that on the context of getting, like, release code, where we, we play a game, uh, I guess the most egregious in recent memory would be cyberpunk but also like pathfinder where it's like man this game's buggy but maybe it'll be fixed on day one but i'm playing it early so i don't know like how much i should uh you know focus on this and then for some games they are fixed right away and then for some games they certainly aren't it's good to see that pokemon was uh, more of the the former Uh, but luckily it seems like that all the major issues have been sorted out
2: then there are going to be the the ones that have the opposite problem where they're working fine and then, like, uh, let's say a DLC thing comes out and um, kind of screws everything over and it's like, oh, I shouldn't touch this game until it's fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super Robot Wars. <coughs>
3: mm-hmm. we in the rare case where you have a review and it's like, if you didn't finish the game before uh, embar- the embargo lifted, somehow your save data got wiped.
2: <laughs> yeah. <'cause it's> <coughs> <coughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that never
3: happened.
2: Yeah, never happened.
0: (laughs) We did also get a very uh, surprising release uh, in the last week. So this was always slated for 2021, but we haven't heard about it in a long time since, I believe, E3. And that is uh, one of the Riot Forge projects. Obviously, the creators, publishers... You know, overmasters of League of Legends, where they have been kind of moving their IPs into different areas. I know they had recently had an Arcane show that launched uh, over the last month. Uh, they've got an MMO in the works. But another project that they had that was of interest to us was Ruined King, a League of Legends story. This is a turn-based RPG uh, being developed by Airship Syndicate, who is the team behind um, Battle Chasers Night War and Darksiders Genesis. Uh, I played both those games I think I actually reviewed both those games for the site so I was always interested in Ruined King not because I have any history at all with League of Legends I am a complete neophyte when it comes to that uh, but I had liked or I had I had appreciated I'll put it that way um, Airship Syndicate's recent output I didn't love Genesis but I thought Battle Chasers was actually really quite unique and interesting it is always cool to see um, turn based basically JRPG inspired type games from a Western developer. And that's what Ruined King is. Uh, it basically shadow dropped last week. So uh, we didn't know about it. I don't think any outlets had, uh, or at least not, none of the smaller ones, had any heads up that this game was going to be releasing uh, without any other prior announcement. But it's here, and I've put about uh, 10 to 12 hours into it so far. And all of my impressions are basically knowing Airship Syndicate, but not knowing League of Legends at all. So... Uh, If you've played Battle Chasers Night War, which I believe was 2017, maybe 18, uh, this game is clearly built on that framework uh, mechanically. But of course, everything is flavored uh, League of Legends style. So this is basically going to be my gateway into this lore, which uh, I know a lot of people who are going to be playing this game already know which characters they hope to see and already know the environment and already know like the setting and the, you know, uh, the lore and all, and all of that. And I know none of it. So basically, uh, I will have things that I am learning really quickly. And then also I will have gaps in terms of not knowing what I don't know. <laughs> uh, like when something's referenced and I don't know, is like, is that important or is that, or is that
2: not? Um, I have a question right away. Go ahead. Do, do, you, do you need to know, uh, MOBA mechanics to play this game do you need to know who takes mid who jungles who's the carry who's the support do, do I need uh, to know that to, get to this game
0: n- I'm gonna say no but I will say that one of my um immediate takeaways is that from uh so I'm like my brother I'm kind of a bit of a, like a mechanics numbers nerd and a little bit less on like story lore uh but Immediately, when you turn this game, it is a when you turn this game on, it is a turn-based RPG, and different characters that you get kind of serve different roles, kind of like a an RPG, very classic. This person is a healer. This person does damage. This person uh, gets aggro uh, and does like more supportive things and prevents your team from taking damage. And I can kind of glean how this character might have worked. In the League of Legends, just based on how they have been adapted into this game, even though obviously I don't know what their League of like, I'm kind of working backwards here. Like for instance, there's this character called Yasuo. Uh, he seems pretty cool. He's like a samurai. He's called an Ionian. I don't know what any of these things mean, but the game is teaching me. So other people might know exactly like where this character came from, how long they've been in League of Legends. I assume if they're in this in this uh, spinoff game, that they're a popular character, but. Uh, The game immediately kind of shows you how each character has a very unique set of mechanics that is bespoke to them, where only they can do these certain things. For instance, Yasuo, uh, whenever he does his most basic attack, uh, he puts on a debuff called Steel Tempest. Steel Tempest is a stacking debuff that once you get full stacks of it, it basically means that his next ultimate attack will take less mana and recharge more quickly which that's kind of like a very a very simple mechanic but also he can get more steel tempest his stacking buff whenever he criticals and he also has another ability that increases his critical rate so it's kind of like these like these series of mechanics that all interlock together in a very smart way um which i can kind of see like oh i bet I bet that's sort of how it worked in uh in his in his role in League of Legends, which I only know at the, the very basic framework about how MOBA champions work. So I don't I can't really go more eloquently than that. Uh, another character that's in this game, Braum. Whenever he does his basic attack, he does a unique. Uh, this is this sounds a little bit crude, but he has a he has a basic debuff called Concussion, where he stacks Concussion on his enemies, and then once Yay. those Concussion stacks. Uh, max out those enemies are either stunned or take extra damage upon those stacks capping out and then um, there's certain other like ways where their their basic attack can do concussion they can do like a, a lane they, what they call them here is a lane attack which I don't know if a lane attack is something from the uh, is something from the base game or if they're kind of just using that terminology to tie to the lanes in League of legends uh but basically you have your instant attacks that don't take uh, mana but then your, your lane attacks do so you can't spam your lane attacks you kind of have to do your instant attacks like brahms concussion stacking and uh yeah so a steel s- steel tempest stacking and then basically that kind of buffs your character up through these basic abilities which then you get to decide how to use once you're ready to expend some mana on some more powerful ones uh, once you do these more powerful lane abilities what this game's kind of unique most, uh, it's kind of its defining battle mechanic, I think, is that let's say I'm doing Yasuo's ability called Sweeping Blade. It is a lane ability that grants a stack of Steel Tempest whenever it criticals. And it also damages basically every target and every nearby target. So if there's a group of three enemies and you target the middle one, it'll hit all three. So kind of kind of has like this um, cleaving effect. Uh, but when you decide i want to have yasuo use this ability you choose do i want to do it in the speed lane do i want to do it in the balance lane or do i want to do it in the power lane and basically what lane you do it in determines how fast it will execute and how much damage it will do so if i'm doing his ability and i need it to i really need it to to basically get off before the enemy gets a turn i will do it in the speed lane because i'm low on health or because i'm about to die or whatever or if i do it in the power lane and it's going to do more damage and will do enough to kill the enemy even though it'll take longer to charge i might just do that and maybe the payoff is worth it and during battle and I think a few other games, I can't think of a specific example off hand, but at the bottom of the screen, there is essentially kind of a timeline. It'll say like, here's currently acting, Who's here's who's going to attack next, and here's who's going to attack after that. And after you pick which ability you're going to do, it'll basically show you when your attack will launch and also when your next turn will be. That idea in itself is very kind of well-worn. Yeah, a lot, of games, an, a lot of games do that.
2: It's like, it's like timeline manipulation, but uh, tied to like attacks.
0: Right. And like, so the timeline is not, it's basically got two axes. It's not just most recent, most, the next upcoming abilities is to the farthest left and the furthest one is to the farthest right, but there's kind of a Y axis to it. There's like three layers. Um, So think of like a grid where the upper layer is I'm using a speed lane ability so that'll be up here, there. And then uh, the lower layer is the power lane. And here's the thing that I'm dancing around is that certain aspects of the timeline will have like an effect on it where the, um, uh, this, the, if you, if you land in this part of the timeline, you will get healed or you will get an attack buff or you'll get a speed buff. So that's kind of another factor, uh, where you will want to decide if I have Yasuo use his ability that I've mentioned and, Have him so that so when I have Yasuo using his lane ability, which is his mana consuming ability, and I see in the timeline it shows his icon appear where he is going to unleash that. If I have him land in a region of the timeline that has his heal effect on it, that means he will get healed when that when that time passes into the present. So I know this, this is a lot of words to try to explain how it works, but kind of what no, I want to like,
2: Yeah, I, I'm picturing it it, it. it sounds like something I could see like in like, you know, the Falcon games, and the Trails games, like, you know, how you manipulated that timeline. Oh, that's actually a
0: and, great. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's actually a great example where. All right. So anyone who hasn't played this game, obviously, but has played any uh, recent or not even recent, pretty much any game in the in that kiseki trail series where you might want to time an art spell so that a character casts that art at the same time the critical bonus is appearing or the same time the cp bonus is appearing that's exactly it only now it's kind of like uh you're you're trying to land in a spot
3: where you will get healed or where you'll get an attack buff or, or a speed buff so that's ironic because that was actually taken out of Kuro. oh
2: huh. all, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right yeah all right so you're really pretty- different stuff but yeah all right. So you
0: can play a uh, ruined King instead. So, there you go. so basically, and the thing is one thing that I like about ruined King is that it kind of gives you this. It doesn't kind of spoon feed you, but it doesn't dump it all on you at once. It's got a very brisk pace where it's like you start out with one character. Here is that character's specific passives. They're very bespoke bonuses to them. Uh, the first character that you play at is named um, misfortune uh and her passive is that she has oh, I forget what I for, I forget what the bonus is called uh but she basically gets a stacking buff every time she evades damage and every time a turn passes where she goes faster and faster and faster uh, they call that speed they call that attribute haste in this game so basically for her you're encouraged to deal damage when you can but if you think you're about to take damage you can try to evade the incoming attack so that you keep your stacking buff going because it might pay off in the long run um and this game like it'll introduce here's this character's bespoke kind of this is how they work and by the way this is how their are this is how their instant and how their lane abilities kind of synchronize and how they kind of have this synergy to them um uh, here's how the uh uh the timeline system works in battle and how, the, how these passives work. And the last thing that I didn't mention yet is that sometimes a character will be like a fast wolf and it'll say this wolf enemy will evade uh, a third of every attack, like a 33% chance to evade any attack except speed lane attacks. So for certain enemies, regardless of uh, what your other goals are you might want to use a very specific attack because the enemy has an inherent weakness to it or you'll have like this or you'll have like this big brute enemy that says this brute enemy will take half damage from all attacks except the power attack if you do powered attack you might stagger it and then it'll be uh susceptible to everything so there's already like these interlocking systems these interlocking passives and it's there's never a, there's never a qu- quite there's no there's no formula to decide if i always do these abilities in this order i will win um unless you're playing on the easiest difficulty maybe uh There's always kind of like, well, if I do a power attack, I'm going to do more damage, and I'll do enough to kill the wolf in one hit, but he has a 33% chance of evading it. So maybe I'll do a speed attack instead so that I know I guarantee the hit, and I'll take that buff off him. Or I can maybe, you know, do a passive instead of attacking the enemy at all. So it's just right away, there's a lot of there's just a lot of like mechanics to really consider. And I can kind of see like, all right, I've got a party of three characters and they all work in slightly different ways. And I can kind of see like, all right, that I wonder how this champion, this is, this must be the role that they played in the base game, though, of course I can't really quite know that because I don't have the firsthand experience. So that's kind of how battles and how characters work. Um, There's also like a pretty robust system of progression where, Uh, characters have equipment slots and the equipment is kind of a very uh, a very classic you know diablo-esque loot-based gear system where you'll have like different tier different rarities of gear uh, each gear will have like a level like you might have like a level seven epic sword but then you find like a level 10 common sword but it might it might actually it might be actually better in some ways and the gear as far as i can tell is semi-randomized so it's not like a most most jrpgs where you kind of get bespoke upgrades at certain points whether you get to a new shop or you find it in a treasure chest in a dungeon it seems like it's a little bit more um uh just random random drops. So you'll have you'll have reasons to like revisit areas and kill enemies and hope to get new materials to craft or whatever. There is a crafting. Uh, there is fishing. There are basic skill trees. Uh, there are. Um, you can enchant items using materials and I'm not going to go into the weeds of all these systems, but basically there is a lot to mess with in terms of you already learn how to use the character actively in battle. You know what, what abilities you should use and what order to be most effective, but then based on how you decide you want to use a character, you can kind of design their, their setup and their, their gear, their gear setup and their, their skill tree setup around that where you might, you might for Yasuo, you might set up his gear so that he just does, you know, you, you're, you're buffing up his attack stat. That's all you care about. Or you can buff up his critical stat specifically because you know that that kind of interacts with his abilities and his um, kind of how his how his battle style works in terms of his stacking buff that he gets when he crits enemies instead of going for raw damage all the time. So there's basically just a lot to chew on and it's more in depth than I expected going in, which is yeah, a lot real- of yeah it's been really refreshing so uh this this isn't basically uh it's kind of weird because i have a feeling like maybe for uh for league of legends players who already have to tackle i presume a lot of systems the, the this might this might be kind of natural to them and it's also natural to anyone who has experience with uh rpgs but it's not really designed as like i thought maybe going in that this might be like a very kind of shallow uh you know my my first RPG experience or something, but it's really not that. It's really quite uh, involved and in depth. And you don't really need any League of Legends background to enjoy
2: it. Sounding like,
0: uh, the thing is, is you. I'm sure you would enjoy it more where you see a mm. character that you recognize. Like, uh, there's this character that has a really uh kind of they're, they're very mysterious i think gonna, i think her name was honori uh and i don't i have no idea who this person is i haven't gotten them in my party yet or yeah, whatever but,
2: this game. wow spoilers yeah. man <laughs> well,
0: well the thing is is <laughs> <don't> that <laughs> like if, if you go into like the equipment menus it kind of tells you who all the characters you get are so uh-huh. uh you don't okay. have to you don't you don't have to dive outside the game to learn even from the second hour third hour who's all going to join you because you'll see like uh menus that say this is this is gear for Henry, this is gear for Brom, this is gear for. uh,
2: okay so it's funny so you get you can get gear for like future party members that haven't joined you yet basically uh
0: it's not gear so there's there's a journal system that's basically like uh voice logs or voice uh like basically audio diaries journal entries things like that and i can see like uh home of knowledge for uh uh, oh it's not Henry. it's ari Sorry, I don't know my League of Legends characters. I'm just learning about them for the first <laughs> They're time. They're right now. They're like, uh, Finally,
2: they, they corrected it. <laughs> all
0: right. Uh, this misfortune, uh, Yasuo, Pike, mm-hmm. uh, Alawi, Brahm, Ahri, Uh, I guess that's it, unless there's a secret character or something. Uh, I will say, though, that the the story and the writing, I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's kind of very blunt. It's very like efficiently written where... Um, dialogue lines are kind of short and to the point and very simply stated where there's not a lot to chew on it's like for instance um brahm his history is basically he's from a village uh i don't remember what it's called it's he's very he's like the nordic kind of norsey character uh and he he basically was seeking medicine for his village and he heard a rumor that the blessed isles had this holy water that could heal any ailment however the blessed isles have been overrun by this entity called the black mist so now they're known as the shadow isles so it's just like very blunt Mm. it's just very like i guess that's a very simple premise but maybe it's fine and maybe that's how the lore of the league of legends is uh i don't know but it's it's I'm I'm really enjoying kind of the, like the mechanics, the RPG, the progression, the battles more than I am the setting or the characters. But they're not bad. They're just kind of like fine. They're there. Uh they're very distinct, I will say, between the two between the characters. Um, very different distinct manners of speaking, which kind of goes with like, I guess they're from different races. Like I, I mentioned that Yasuo is an Ionian, um, Brahm is this Nordic uh countryman, which I I've it's like Fjordia or something like that. Uh And I'm sure that these these areas, if you're going into the game with any League of Legends knowledge, is very you know you're you're well aware of these. But I'm not. Uh, This game takes place in Bilgewater, which is kind of like a pirate's haven, which is kind of interesting to me because as an outsider, this this will be my last. uh, This is basically the last thing I wanted to touch on is that when I think of League of Legends as an outsider, I think of very like traditional fantasy, but like with a with a sense of like
2: magitech sort of to it.
0: That's just kind of my yeah.
2: Because, like, well, of- I mean, it, like when I think of League of Legends, like I always think of like the forest area because that's like the map I see when <laughs> I ever see footage of it. So, like, it being taking place like in the Pirates Cavern, like, oh, that's cool, you know? Because all I really see in League of Legends from my outsider's perspective, you know, is like, is the typical MOBA map built with like, you know, jungling phase. And like I said, that typical forest map, like you see like in Dota also, and you see like in, you know, when what what are other popular mobas i i think of like they, they, this is a, a sign of how old i am in this it's like i used to play like the like the made of like heroes of new earth and like I'm like what are other mobas are there um uh, I I good... so, yeah, uh, what was the blizzard ones it's heroes of the storm that yeah, yeah that's a tall thing um yeah but pokemon uh, unite oh that's true yeah pokemon <laughs> unite <laughs>
0: So the, the whole game doesn't take place in Bilgewater, but it seems like that's a major, it's where you start out. And I, I've been, I've been, I'm like 10 hours in and that's, I haven't left that. So Bilgewater is like a pirate's haven. So everything's like Corsairs and swashbucklers and shipwrecks and pirates and blunderbusses and uh, things like that, which is not something I really, like obviously I'm an outsider to this franchise, to this IP. And I'm like, is this a major part of the IP or do they just pick pick a very specific region? And that's what they're focusing on. Because that's just not quite the, the aesthetic that I expect at a League of Legends. So it's very specific. And it's just not what I expected.
2: But it, it kind of works. Um, so so it's, it, go into League of Legends, install League of Legends, then read the novels, then read the upcoming <laughs> rhythm game, then play that Project L fighting game, then watch the Arcane show, Arcana, whatever. And you, you'll find out.
3: Yeah, so don't forget, don't forget, they're also making an MMO and the MMO
2: they are come
3: Yeah, so the MMO, I'm guessing, will be obviously
0: uh will have the time and resources likely to really dive into all the different aspects of the lore that have been built up in League of Legends over the last decade plus or whatever. Uh, Do you think so-
2: you'll you'll visit Bilgewater in the MMO?
0: I am sure you will, because apparently it's a pretty major location, or a, it's it's either a major location or a, or a location that they just kind of randomly picked for the. I have no idea how important Bilgewater is to League of Legends. Is it important at all? But basically, this is my exposure to League of Legends at all, and Bilgewater is where it takes place. I'm like, oh, it must be a fairly important place. I guess Bilgewater is a city on the Serpent Isles, which is nearby the Shadow Isles, which obviously used to be the Blessed Isles, but now like, there's this black mist. Which is kind of like right now. I don't know who the antagonist is. It's just this black mist, kind of every so often, kind of tries to overtake the area and unleashes like these ghostly apparitions that have to be pushed back. And but I don't know the source. I don't know why. I don't know how. So that's kind of like what they, I'm hoping the RPGs, like this RPG's
2: story, will touch into. Um, it all, it all just uh, the ending credits will scroll by, and then the the lo- the last post credits thing is going to be. Go play the game, the 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 MOBA. That'll be the message. <laughs> if you want to know more,
0: <laughs> I will say though that the art style is very reminiscent of Battle Chasers. It's got like those CGI artsy cut ins uh, that are basically almost look like they're lifted from the same game because obviously it's the same art talent behind it uh, in that Joe Madura style. Uh, as far as I can tell, it kind of fits the uh, characters. I think the the character portraits are really well detailed. It's kind of got that western comic booky feel to it uh yeah so maybe a little bit like aimed at a younger audience maybe which might be interesting because i don't really think of league of legends as that but maybe it is uh well i guess league of legends is like you know universities have pro teams for that game specifically so uh, i don't know but my
3: university has a (laughs) pro
0: League of legends team i think Dang. so uh all these all these gen z league of legend players will maybe they'll find something here on this very turn-based rpg i don't know how much of that overlap between those two audiences are but uh, i'm enjoying it uh i'm so far i'm enjoying it more than i did battle chasers uh and i think that's just because it has more interesting systems going on Where battle chasers was a little bit more um kind of by numbers where this seems like it as far as i can tell really smartly adapting some of the league mechanics into uh this new framework but uh, I'm hoping to uh, to f- get through this game. Uh, based on, like, my progress so far, I don't think it's going to be very long, which is a nice change of pace considering the last two games I've been playing i have been Pathfinder and Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, so, uh, well, I- I'm interested to see what my final thoughts on this coalesce into once by-, by the time we get to the end of the year stuff. But I'm having a better time than I thought I would going in.
2: That's cool. Yeah, the- mm-hmm. that was really cool to see it shadow drop and then, like, even cooler to see, it, like, hey, it's actually a really really good game and it seems like a lot of the steam reviews It's generally been very positive for that game i, I want to try it out it seems like a lot of fun but once again there's i want to try out like a 10, 10 10 million games before game of the year and that's just not going to happen yep. So i gotta pick and choose my battles I, i've still like i'm still i'm like almost 40 hours into smt5 like the middle of the third zone hopefully i'll get that done soon uh especially with thanksgiving break coming up
3: um when are you uh, two getting back to fantasia A good fucking question
2: <laughs>
0: yeah of uh, my my goal for the end of the year was finish ruined king finish Imagami tensei and finish Fantasian. because then i think i'll hit like the major major highlights despite having some time taken away from me from life stuff but i don't know yeah. if i'm gonna get that far
2: so i, I think i yeah i think i hopefully i can get the Fantasian uh after the smt but then there's like other like Smaller things like I should probably try to like, get into Amori as well because a lot of people really really love that and that was like it would I don't know it f- it would feel weird to like give that a uh, oversight on the game of the year stuff but you know it's it's tough you know it's scheduling and apparently, stuff. It's apparently,
0: Ender Lilies was great, which I don't know if I'll have time for and things like you that. Know? Yep, exactly. The, this is the the cross we must bear.
2: As yeah, la, 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 yeah, and like like I I I bought that like the other day, and like I I really wanted like to try out Death Store as well because I bought that on on sale.
3: So like, thankfully, wow. Death oh, Store yeah. is pretty pretty short. You can get that done like eight ten hours.
0: Okay, um but there's so many eight ten hour games. Yep, yeah, yep.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then, like, you know, it's, it's a bad thing to, like, think about, but, like, there's already all, like, so many cool, like, indie games coming out, like, early December that's, like, that we just, like, by default won't get to until a later time because, like, the general rules of Game of the Year is, like, anything released in December now is, like, we'll hold it off till next year. So, like, stuff like Cyberpunk and Omori, now we can talk about in this Game of the Year, but, like, stuff that's coming out this December... Like, you know, that this is by default. Oh, we got we have to do give the year stuff. We'll think about that later.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's like a, it's like we considered. it's like we go into the next year immediately with a coverage backlog almost. <laughs> uh, Fun. So, and that and that's yeah. with a lot of stuff releasing like in February and March. Uh, January is a little bit more open, thankfully. I guess we got yeah. RCS there. Yeah. At, at least, any, uh, at least for,
3: next year is going to be a lot easier. Felden Ring. It's like already. Yeah.
2: Hopefully. <laughs> and we'll see. Um, Let's see. Yeah, did you have any final thoughts on Ruin King that you wanted to uh, end off on? Uh I think I'll uh for right now I'm
0: still too early to have like concluding thoughts. I think my, my initial impressions are great. That's, that's okay, uh cool. but you had mentioned uh picking your battles. And I'm gonna yeah. use that to segue to your next topic.
2: I I didn't pick my battles well this week, apparently. Well, I did I did uh for one of them. one of those Halo multiplayer shadow dropping and, and early and that was a really cool Surprise and I've been uh, James and I have been having a ton of fun with that. Um I was thinking about I was like maybe I should do the first Super About Wars 30 DLC because that added Soccer Awards, uh Voltus 5 and whatnot, but that seems to be having issues like that like that came out like around Tuesday night for early access people who bought the deluxe and ultimate editions. Um but even to this day, which is the time we're recording Saturday like afternoon. Um, like that still hasn't been fixed because, on like the first immediate like bug that people noticed with that DLC was like, hey, one of like your one of the major units in like that game is like they they disappear, like Izuru's Red Five for Majestic Prince, like that unit is just gone from your roster, and you have to either do like a mandatory story mission that first deploys him, which in my case, I don't have any left because I'm in post game now, so I don't have any of those left, so it kind of deletes him for whatever reason and then people have been suffering like all sorts of like weird issues like there are some issues where like certain dialogue plays that could crash the game and they try to do like spells in battle that might crash the game and it, it just seems like a mess right now that i don't want to deal with especially if I, it might like mess up save files so that's a shame and hopefully they get it fixed very soon but i, I don't know how serious the issue is um but it's just been. Well, kind it's, it's of a sound, that it sounds. It sounds like you're already maybe
0: considering just waiting for more of the DLC to drop. So just it sounds like you yeah. kind of already had a plan in place.
2: Yeah, that's true. It, like it seems to be uh, the better player because, like, from people who've played that DLC, both friends and other people I've seen, like that those DLC things, they actually add like story interactions into the main game as well. Like the characters that join your party, they actually have like something to say or contribute. Like in the main game, and it comes to like facing off people or like certain like story interactions and whatnot, like I wasn't expecting that. I thought they were going to be like in their own isolated, closed off thing. So that's actually really cool to see that they actually have like, a, like a participation like in the main story as well. They're not just like I silent, I, like off. I,
0: do, I definitely do appreciate that implementation of DLC better rather than being like this is the
2: DLC area of the game. Yeah, so. yeah. So I was that caught me off guard, but that's really cool to see. But hopefully, you know, when things are like in the clear, and maybe till I wait till like the second DLC pack, maybe I'll dive into that. Who knows? So uh, for the thing, uh, the thing that I wanted to bring here today was uh, I uh, got a, a key for the phase three of the closed beta test of Babylon's Fall. This is the upcoming a game from square enix and platinum games another collaboration project everyone loved near automata so why not get the names uh you know the square enix and platinum games team again uh for it obviously it does not it doesn't involve yokotaro or okabe or anything that's the, this is the, it's not uh they're not involved with this uh this is the the game where everyone was caught by surprise when in e3 2021 they announced that this is going to be a games as a service game uh because that's been doing really really well for square enix lately and yeah i mm, i tried this with two other friends and we played it for a little over like two hours and um this 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 game needs a lot of (laughs) this game (laughs) needs a lot of work so um i i wrote an article about it on the site kind of breaking down you know what to expect from the game like what my experience was um, you know, when you when you start at the game, you have your whole typical character creator. You can pick from one to three races. at the closed beta test, I don't know if there's going to be more. Um, and like the these are they kind of have some flavor text for them. Like some are from residents from the sea, some are uh, from the mountains, some dwell in the forests and whatnot. And they they have like some flavor text of like what are their trades, uh, what do they excel at in, in the world and whatnot. Um, the main thing that separates them from what I tell. Is their Gideon Coffin ability, and the Gideon Coffin mechanic um, was something I was not able to test out in this closed beta test. I don't know if it's eventually unlocked, early, like later on, or, but it was it wasn't like available right away even after the first three stages. Like it, it seems to be some sort of ramp up. I don't know if any of that is in the closed beta test. Um the, the Gideon Coffin ability is, if you remember from like the early early Babylon's fall. Like footage and some of the gameplay when we all thought this was still a single player cool thing was <laughs> uh, the, when the player or the character like tethered towards an opponent like that's like the Gideon coffin ability for um one of the races you know and uh, that's not something I was able to try out um and then the other two had like things where they're tethered to an opponent they're either strengthen themselves or weaken them and whatnot um and then, so you go through this character creator, this character creator. You know, is, is your typical character creator. Nothing special about it. the The weird thing that stuck out to me, and like I guess throughout the whole game, was their brushwork filter graphic engine, which is, I guess, what they're trying to do is like it's sort of like a, a, a not a faded out, like almost a cell shaded, painter esque type of uh, art style. It's supposed to be like even sharper uh, in this closed beta because I guess in the past closed betas um they were it was very like uh soft and blurry so it's sharpened up now and it it's still i don't know i don't know if i'm a big fan of the the art stuff that they're going for here like it, it well works, uh, i guess i was but... gonna say like
0: the way you describe that it sounds pleasant like oh i kind of like the painterly mm-hmm. sort of art but i remember watching the trailers and thinking this game was actually really ugly <laughs> so maybe yeah, it's just a really yeah, bad like, implementation
2: yeah i don't know like it's just it's just weird um, But. You know, you get through that, and then the after you do your character creator, you're kind of just placed into this like hub HQ. You're not really only way you knew it was that HQ was like the the two second tooltip that like popped up and said, "This is Sentinel HQ," and you're, there's like no tutorials, nothing. You're just like, "Okay, I'm I'm here. What do I do? Where, where do I go?" So, um, like I said in my article, this HQ sort of serves as like the the hub or village in a Monster Hunter game. Um, you know, it, it reminds it reminded me a lot of like Monster Hunter World, uh, of that like kind of open like environment with all the all the planks and stuff, and you're by the sea. Um, and then so the the main things that like you're given access to in the closed beta is obviously the mission board, um, where you can uh, take up missions uh, and whatnot. From there, you start a mission, and people can join on you. You can access the shopkeeper. We can sell stuff, and then you can uh, go to the person uh, who gives daily quests. You know, you you do dailies, you get rewarded and whatnot. So, um, the so I was able to find out how to like join my friends. They like have this headquarters ID that you input to join their instance, and then we all started a mission together. And the the gameplay of this game is divided up into stages. Uh, it's uh, these are very linear levels. They take maybe ten minutes to complete, ten to fifteen uh, at most. Um, they're very point A to point B, like linear corridor type of stages. Uh, at least at the very beginning, I don't know if they ever open up. It doesn't seem like it. Um, where you uh, you run, uh, and then you go into this battle arena. You uh, beat the enemies in there. Then that that's done. You will go on to the next corridor uh, doorway. You go to another battle arena, and then so on until you get to like the the final one. And then there'll be maybe a buff like boss type enemy, uh, and uh, you complete that, and you're done with the mission. It seems uh, very way, like
0: arcadey or something
2: yeah yeah like uh, it has like your after each battle you have like your your are ranked like in you know something like in bayonetta or other platinum games you know you'll have like you know bronze silver gold uh platinum pure platinum and then it'll list off like how many dodges did you do how many like aerial attacks did you do and whatnot like your typical platinum ranking system um along the way in between these battle zones you have uh like environmental hazards like sometimes spikes will come out of the ground sometimes there'll be like a wall of shields that you just have to like wow, like you know beat on until you can pass through it uh and sometimes like for like the spikes for example sometimes you'll have like a tether point where you can like sling across them sometimes you have to like jump and dash across them sometimes like you know there'll be like a falling building uh and you have to wait for that to finish before you can platform through that um so it's very standard in that way along the way as you're beating up enemies and like looting chests you'll get like these things called relics uh and these relics are basically the equipment that you pick up but you won't know what they are until they're appraised and identified after the mission is over and then um along the mission you're like you can't even like switch out your equipment whatever you have equipped on you're locked into that you can't you can't do any sort of like uh inventory management um, until the very end of the mission, or before you go into the mission,
0: so it's like picking um, a
2: loadout, and you and then you're beholden the, to it, kinda, sorta, yeah.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, the the battle system itself is th- this kind of like where it's it's neat on paper. I don't think it's executed very well. I think it 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 has the potential to be like really cool, but it isn't at the moment. Um, it has your you can equip up to four weapons. You can have you know obviously your uh, light and uh, heavy attacks, and then you'll have these things called like spirit weapons. Um, and the, you have like several weapon types in, in the beta that you can you, you get as drops. So you can have like a one-handed sword, a hammer, a shield, a bow, a wand, and whatnot. And you know these will do your standard stuff like for uh, he- heavy and light attacks. Like uh, the shield will just try to like parry attacks, but for everything else. It's your standard deal of like they'll have their own attack strings and whatnot. Um, the, when you equip them uh, as spirit weapons, they sometimes they they have a similar functionality like one-handed swords. If you equip that the spirit weapon slot, you'll have like these obviously these phantom swords swing at the at, at them while you're attacking, and they're they're you know they they come out and look cool and do a little bit more damage, but they're functionally still. Um, just you know what you would do with a one handed sword um with things like the shield though that that gets really interesting where the properties of it as a phantom or spirit weapon um drastically change because you can have like a deplo- like a deployable shield around you as you're like you're holding down the shield weapon or the shield as a phantom weapon or spirit weapon. I always forget the terminology, so you're holding up the spirit shield and then it has a barrier around you instead of like a parry and whatnot and every time you use a phantom or i keep saying phantom spirit uh weapon you consume like this red gauge underneath your h p bar it's like uh, it's like the spirit weapon slot i just call it m p because that's the easiest way to uh refer to it and the the thing that uh sucks about this is like the phantom spirit weapons are really like pretty like fun to use, but they deplete the m p gauge so fast so after like three or four swings, let's say for the one-handed sword as a spirit weapon, um you it just depletes the gauge like immediately. And then how you have to uh charge it back up is to repeatedly do like um light weapon or light or heavy uh strings and uh and the properties of the weapons in those slots uh will determine your uh how much uh, mana you regain. To be able to use your spirit weapons again so let's say like the standard one-handed sword light attack string you know it'll it'll charge it like here and there but it's pretty poor at it it's pretty slow for something like the bow or the hammer um they'll charge it much faster it's still like not as fast as you want it to be but it still charges it faster and These are all tied to like stats, like like, there's a specific like spirit siphon stat on your equipment that you have. And that seems to determine like how much spirit you gain back per attack or something. Um,
0: Is it it the tuning of these mechanics that so I'm uh, what I was kind of waiting as you describe how the game works is for the mm -hmm. other shoe to drop because clearly you did not take well to this beta. And I'm trying to glean from your description here, like, okay, what about Josh is describing how this game works, but what about it is making it is is contributing to your impressions? Are, is it basically that these things charge too slowly, or you feel like you you get stuck doing like these basic attacks to try to to to
2: charge the siphon ability? Or yeah, like, it's, what it's, a, it's like, a, like the flow of it is very off. Like you when you go into this like game and you really want like some sick platinum games gameplay. Like, the the, the the pace of it is feels too slow, and this is, like, a, a combination of, like, having to manage those, like, very limited resources that, like, at the, at the moment, like, it just it didn't really come together all that well. Plus, like, when it comes to enemy encounters, like, enemies just do, do not stagger at all. They don't, like, react to your weapon hits unless it's, like, a very, very big attack, like a charged weapon hammer attack that, like, takes a while to charge, you know. to to get to that point so like when you like do a like a a combo with your one-handed sword like the only thing they'll react to to that is like like the 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 stab at the very end of it but other than that they're free to like attack you in the middle of that like a string because they just don't react to it there's like no stagger no sort of like you know that's true for like most enemies in the game maybe for like the very very like small ones maybe i couldn't really tell but um for most enemies that I encountered, uh, they just were like, Yeah, so what? You hit me, I don't care. And this and like the enemies already felt like damage spongy on top of that. And and you're already like, you know, trying to fight for like you, like your mana gain because your dashes also consume mana. So if you're like doing stuff like in other platinum games where you're like you're trying to dash out of the way in the middle of like you see an oncoming enemy attack as you're attacking like you now have to like sacrifice a little bit of mana to do to uh, do a dash out of that as well so you're just on, on, like constantly like in a fight for like trying to like do cool shit but the game feels very restrictive in letting you do that you know there there, there are times when like you can do like neat stuff like for but you, you have to really like exploit it for what it is for example like the hammer has decent mana regen uh on on its light attack strings so what I did for one of my builds was like, hey, I'm gonna have the shield up, the the spirit shield up as I'm attacking with the hammer. So the hammer is basically just re- a battery for the shield as it's doing damage. Sure, it's kind of goofy. Sure, it's slow, but it's like it's it, I have good defense with the shield up as I'm doing hammer. Or what I did in another build was like, hey, the the bow charges up mana, pretty uh, you know a pretty decent, decent clip. So I'll have that be the battery for this spirit hammer that I have. Um so the the ma- my main DPS is the spirit hammer while I'm doing like a close up like archer um build while bonking enemies with this ha- spirit hammer. Which that sounds cool on paper, but it just doesn't feel great like in action when you're taking into consideration like the slow pace of combat along with having to micromanage this mana meter on top of enemies being damage spongy and not really attack uh reacting to your attacks. And sure, you have your typical, like, Platinum games, like, you know, you can do air launchers to launch them up into the air and maybe keep them into the air and whatnot, but it doesn't, it's not as impactful as you would want it to be, like how in other uh, Platinum games are, like Anarchy Reigns, like as I put into the article, like that had, like, a really satisfying oomph to, like, your attacks. And that, this game doesn't have that at the moment. This is all on top of just general progression stuff as a -a games-as-a-service thing. So, my friends and i were progressing through the first three stages it's like hey the this stage has like uh, you we recommend like item level 1 like a, like a power score almost or the next one like we recommend like item level 4 and the, and then the third stage is like item level 7 you're gradually progressing um through them with uh, and like you know getting better equipment out of them whether it's armor or new weapons to try out and whatnot then all of a sudden the game has like a weird power jump at the disclosed beta from like from the third to fourth fourth stage, it's like, I recommended item level seven to item level 20 at the fourth stage. And like, we're just using the gear that we got from like the third stage which is like, still around like item level 13 or 14. And then we go into this fourth stage and like, nothing is taking damage. Like everything, like most of our hits is one damage, maybe the occasional 60, but that's still, you know, very small damage. And we're just trying to play the game normally at a normal progression. And it's like, oh, you're just hard lucked at this, you can't progress through this stage. You, the game probably wants us to, like, go through an earlier stage and, like, grind through that, hoping hoping for, like, better item drops, you know? And there's already on top of, like, other things that, like, quality of life features that are missing that, like, other games as a service games have, like, fixed or recognized over the, like, last decade. Like, it's important, it's important to have, like, a compare equipment type of uh thing which this game doesn't have so like oh i wonder if this like like sword is better than the sword that i have Can i compare equipment no this is oh, i hate i hate when that happens like
0: mm-hmm. and does it have it at all like even if you've got do you have to equip both weapons to to see it like how do you compare equipment in the absence of the option to view it
2: uh you just look at it you just look at the the weapon stats and you just kind of uh. look at like, like you it'll it'll show like the color-coded like Red means down decrease uh, ink, uh green means up like when you see like the stats like um not- not side to side, but like when you equip them on, it's like okay, and when you highlight over the the other one it's like okay, but like there's no like uh simple option at a glance to just see a uh, compare equipment All right, type of deal.
0: my my i don't I don't think I've played an r p g in a while that's been very poor at this uh, but Whenever you like like you're at a shop in a, in a in a you know generic game and you're you're looking at a new sword and you're like, "Is this sword better than my current sword like that game better have a comparison option to know exactly like is it more crit chance or more whatever uh so the absence of that is probably one of the most frustrating things, especially in any sort of game with gear, so that just like, oh man, like what a bummer, how did they miss this one <laughs> um yeah, another- I don't-
2: yeah, go for it. Ask. Uh,
0: th- this is a very weird comment. Uh, well, not weird. Yeah. A very specific comparison. But you talked about how they, um, going back a topic about the the mana use when you dodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when I played Greedfall, which is a very different type of game, yeah. one of the things that I actually thought was kind of interesting about it is that you can be a magic caster in that game, sort of. you, I believe you equip either, either rings or bracelets, I forget, and you kind of like fire projectiles out of your hands. And then whenever you're a magic class, you you can do kind of like this uh evasive spin dodge that only the magic class gets access to and it doesn't cost any magic power and it kind of breaks the game because you can just whenever anyone's attacking you you just press that button with good timing and you evade all damage and i actually kind of said i think in my review uh, of that game like if only this dodge had like maybe some sort of downside to it like a mana cost (laughs) and i hear you're telling me that the mana cost of dodging in this game uh really feels to its detriment so uh Obviously, the games are very different, and they might be balanced differently. Uh, but I, I just thought that was—I'm just trying to think, like, what if if that dodge? I'll ask you this: if you could dodge with no mana cost in um, Babylon's, Fall, Babylon's
2: Fall, do you
0: think it would still feel well balanced, or do you think it would be broken? Does
2: does dodging give you invincibility frames? It does give you invincibility frames, um, not a lot, and there's a perfect dodge as well. Um, it would feel slightly better but i think uh they just need to they need to do a lot of things they need to uh, like kind of speed up the game a little bit more and having hits feel more impactful i think that's a good start for like taking this game in the right direction um obviously the whole games as a service progression thing is you know hopefully by the final release it'll be that'll be better tuned up um it, because right now just combat just feels off you, you also just have the, like little things like you can't sell equipment uh by by batches or sell all at the shopkeeper like you have to do it one by one selling the equipment at the shopkeeper one by one but there is a sell all option at the um when you appraise all the relics that you get from a mission there is a sell all button there after you like you favorite the ones that you want to keep you know stuff like that which is like weird um it's kind of a weird oversight that hopefully, you know, they, they get around to. There's just it's like these little things that add up to something that just doesn't feel great to play. Um and hopefully they get their you know, there's no release date on this thing yet, but hopefully they get it together. Like it's been three closed betas and this thing still isn't where it probably needs to be by launch. Like this thing will live and die by like first impressions. If you don't make a good first impression on this kind of game, I don't think you'll you'll last long and also like i don't know if they if you're i don't know what the price tag on this thing is i don't know if this is gonna be free to play or not it feels like it should be free to play to be honest because i don't see like how you can sell people if you're gonna sell this at a 60 dollars uh standard 60 dollars this is like you gotta be kidding me if you're gonna sell this at full price uh for something that will probably have microtransactions in it as well you know um I do definitely yeah. agree
0: with the with the comment about first impressions, where it's like there's nothing stopping them from tweaking the speed of combat, the like the balancing of your of your resources of of adding the quality of life in terms of gear, uh, you know, just management. But if it launches in a state where no one enjoys playing that, and then like let's say eight months down the road they have this big patch 1.1 1. 1 where they fix it all then you then they kind of have to play catch up like no believe me it's it's good now <laughs> and yeah. that's always a hard sell
2: yeah i mean and it, it's just you, you would hope that at least if not you know it, square enix like sees what's hap- what happened to avengers it's like well maybe you know we should probably start taking things in the right direction before launch but i don't know man what what do i know <laughs> so it's just it. This just it, the 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 title of my article says it all. You know, this is could very well be just the next games as a service Blender for Square Enix because this is. I, I'm just kind of. I don't know, if baffled or shocked is the right uh, question or not uh, the right mindset to have. It's just I kind of wish there was something more to this. You know, I kind of wish it just felt better. Like I, I I'd be I'd be more okay with it being as a games as a service game if um if it just played if it played well if it played like you know if i had fun with it you know and mm. right now this it, it didn't make a great first impression i don't know if like if it's something i want to touch on launch like to to be honest i i don't know they'd have to they'd have to really make a a compelling uh they had to, the, the next time they show this game it better be like a huge improvement do we have all do we have a launch date I don't think so. I think it's still to next year, maybe. But I don't. I'm not sure if the ever set a release date.
0: Let me check. Nope, to be announced. Yeah. So, so well, yeah, maybe, um, maybe, maybe it can stay in the oven for a bit and get into the place it needs to be before it launches, so we don't get another Avengers situation.
2: Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. You know, if you're interested to learn more, I'd like the The specifics and whatnot. I have uh, an article up on the site, and hopefully that'll, you know, if you're not sure what kind of game this is at the moment, uh, hopefully that article shines some light on that.
0: Now, one game that released uh, a few weeks back that we haven't had a chance to talk about, even though we talked about it pretty significantly leading up to its release, was Blue Reflection Second Light. So we had a, we had about a month's worth of podcast where we talked about uh, how this was tying into. The, the initial game to the anime to the mobile tie-in and all the characters that would kind of like cross-pollinate all the different uh avenues of the ip uh but the game did release and we haven't been able to really talk about it since though we did mention we did put up a review for it uh written by chow here so chow i believe uh you and josh were the only ones to play the original blue reflection and you're the only one that has had a chance to play second light so uh, now that you're available and we have a chance to talk about that game, uh, just what was your takeaway from the, uh, the sequel game?
1: The sequel game is basically they took everything from Atelier Ryza 2 and used those systems to incorporate in it to make it a better game. That's
0: how oh, I'm, I'm actually like, I wasn't expecting you to be like, that, that would be the initial
3: thing uh, that you would state outright. Uh, because they took the exact same
1: combat system.
3: Well, okay. Well, the combat's great, so that actually makes me immediately want to play Blue Reflection, uh, Second Light. But first question, then, I guess. Can you play this without having played the first? Yes. Can you play it without having watched the anime?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that also as well.
3: (laughs) Uh, What's the premise of this game?
1: Uh, Basically, you get Isekai into some empty school, and the protagonist has her memory still, but the girls that that was warped into this empty school doesn't have their memories. So, you know, she's trying to get back home because, you know, she's, like, wondering, oh, my God, I have to do all my homework. I have to do all this. I had to get back home, right? So she has, like, this goal, while all the other girls are like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. I don't have my memories. So that's kind of, like, the idea, right?
2: Oh, the, so the progression of the game is, like, just slowly getting back everyone's memories through whatever means?
1: Yeah, and usually... Trying to get back their memories, usually they had to go through like some kind of uh was it some kind of hardship to go through like this hardscape where like it's like a, all their past comes to light where it talks about all like the negative emotions that they go through like some of the characters they worry about certain things like um was it one character used to go through a whole bullying experience, and she's just wondering that she never stood up for herself, you know that kind of idea right, mm-hmm. and trying to get overcome these emotions. in in order to get their memories back
0: so it sounds kind of like is that the like the the two story bits that you talked about so far is the character wanting to return to their own world because they have homework or whatever and then like talking about like bullying and and things like that is that kind of like the the sort of themes that the game touches on
1: it's sort of but it's like different emotions for different characters because there's more than one character joining and they all have their things right like uh, The original protagonist from the first game, Hinako, she wasn't really well explored in the first game, and you actually know more about her in this game than you playing the entire original Blue
2: Reflection. That's interesting, yeah, because like the, the thrust of like Hinako's arc in the first one is like, oh, she got this injury from... uh, I think she's, she did gymnastics, right? In the, uh,
1: ballet. She's a ballet, b- yeah. ballet dancer. She yeah, got this she- injury, and now she can't do that ever again, right? Um, You don't really explore that kind of idea in the original it's just kind of like she's just kind of pessimistic towards like to her peers Mm -hmm. but you don't really know much about her besides that right
2: yeah yeah Um,
1: but yeah in this game you get to explore more about her so you actually know her much better because she because all her life this is the only thing she knows how to do and now it's like this is gone it's like what do I do
0: now if you hadn't played the first game would you like does the does the blue does second light Kind of convey to the player that this was the original protagonist, or is that kind of no, like, no, important they, at they, this point,
1: they don't actually tell you that. The only thing they would tell you is like, Oh, I can use my powers here. It's like, I feel like this is familiar to me, and this is kind of like your connections. Like, oh, maybe she belongs to a different medium, right? Like, if you get Hiori from, I think that's from the anime, I think that's the character from, from the anime, and you know, she's like, Oh, yeah, I think this feels familiar before, you know, that's kind of like the clue that,
0: oh, maybe they're from. A different medium, but the game doesn't like expect you to have to know that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty self contained, and I I think that the reason why they Mm -hmm. teleport you to empty school in this one is because they knew that the school that they created in the original game was like lifeless, like all the generic NPC doesn't do (laughs) anything. So why not just
0: bring everyone to empty school? It it makes perfect sense. Is that the is that the whole game setting is an empty school?
1: Yeah, it's an empty school, but you know there will be like these harpscape, which is like. It's kind of like a imaginary place that they can go to that has their, or not imaginary place. It's kind of like uh, a place it's
2: that it's their, it's like their mind palace, dude. Where yeah, free yeah, free yeah. Free that's
1: that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> it, Josh. But so. yeah, that's kind of like the second game in a nutshell. It's but it's Atelier Rises two simplified without the the alchemy from from their game Uh,
2: how far did they go with like the dating aspect because i know in the first one you could like develop relationships with other girls but like they kind of it feels like it felt half-hearted and half-assed and like they never really went all the way with like how how they explored these relationships
1: it's kind of the same idea but it's a lot better like the dialogue here is a lot more improved but you have to do it if you want to have like the best stats and the best was it the fragments because mm-hmm. if you don't do these, you don't get the fragments. In order to, fragments are basically equipments. Basically, that you equip them. You know, you get like passive stats boosts, and they also get telepoints f- for doing these dating things. And telepoints, you can learn new passive skills for your character. So it's. It's not worth missing out these dating events. Oh,
2: how, like, uh, kind of walk me through a little, of, like, how you initiate these dating things. Do you have to like, like, develop like a relationship with them first, and then you have to go take them into battle to release their relation, or anything like that?
1: No, you don't have to. It's basically if you have a new facility or anything that if there's anything new, so there's like anything. base building in this
2: game. Pardon? Is there like base building in this game? And you're saying like, like a new facility?
1: Um, basically, in when you get further in the game, you can develop facilities. And each facility, you know, has a function. It can improve someone's uh, passive abilities. Okay. And it's also like a spot. Like, okay, I built a coffee shop, and this character likes making coffee in her original world. And so now it becomes a dating spot where they can talk about coffee with that character, right, in mm-hmm. that spot. So, um it's basically the more facility you got, it's like the more characters can interact with as a dating spot. As long as there's a new dating spot, you can date you can take the characters out on a date on that spot or something like
2: that. Is there that. A, like a, a can you two time or are you just dating everyone? Is there any penalty for like uh, no no penalty?
1: You know, okay, I mean, this, kind of this entire relationship's entire what was that word? So that was with P, P patronotic?
3: I can't Paul that, Not
1: that polcule. Uh patronic, I guess. That's a word. Polygamy.
3: play, play-, play-, play- t- platonic yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. sorry that.
0: Sorry.
2: english yeah yeah.
3: yeah, it's a tough word there Uh, there's a lot of words that (laughs) deal for relationship that start with the letter p yeah i
2: was thinking about that i was like yeah Uh, yeah so yeah that's kind
1: of the main thing in in a nutshell uh you have to do it you want the best stats for your characters and if you missed out then i think your characters are kind of gimped in combat i think
2: but the, there's like new new stuff to this, like even beyond that, right? Like the I remember like in the uh, like marketing, like you can like sneak through enemies now and like gain initiative. And whatnot. yes, I,
1: I I hate this new uh, mechanic. It's called the stealth mode. Um, okay. Basically, they got rid of the jump buttons when you're exploring and in dungeons. Oh to no, the jump button. Yeah, you get this whole entire stealth mechanic thing that you can do. And there's certain parts in the game they force you to do this stealth thing where you have to like. Play like Metal Gear Solid with Blue Reflection in order to get to the next area. Uh-huh. <laughs> Obviously, there's no penalty if you get spotted. You just have to like run through the entire area again. But it's really annoying. I mean, it's kind of like why do you even bother playing this? In I didn't sign up for Metal Gear Solid in my Blue <laughs> Reflection.
2: But <laughs> it, it seems to be like a big improvement over the first game. I mean, the the, the first like the the first game like it was already like at a sort of a like it was a flawed game for sure. But this seems to be like a big step up. It seems like from the, the soundtrack is, like, sorry, sa- is, is the soundtrack good?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely good. I I should post you the ba- the boss music and you tell me what you think.
2: Yeah, the, that, that was the big like thing about the first game that people loved was the was the soundtrack. When people were like, "Well, you know, the first game wasn't that good, but you know, the UI and the soundtrack, great." <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, maybe I can get James to play it. Uh, definitely, I. I- just bought it and it's in my steam account
2: dang dude you what? sold it
3: okay it's that simple basically you're like atlier rises 2's bow battle system
1: you can play this game for its combat and I feel, it's... I
2: feel like i have i feel like i have a weird obligation to eventually like you know get to this game because i did watch all the anime i'm like you know what the anime wasn't
3: too bad so have you played Verizon Two yet, uh, Josh? I haven't. I need to get around to that also. Just another Dude, uh, game. Yeah,
0: top- we didn't wear time. Yeah, Jesus
2: Christ. Yeah, but I, I, I really want to get around to it. But you know, times are tough around here. But yeah, it seems like. Blue
0: Reflection Second Light uh, is kind of a sleeper for the year, but like most of your impressions are pretty positive outside of uh, apparently four stealth sections is still a thing. I thought we, I thought we had moved beyond that, but apparently not. Uh, yeah, people but yeah. think it's hype still. Man. <laughs> They're still living five years ago. Yeah, but uh, no, it's because the, the first game, as I, I don't have first-hand experience with either game, but it wasn't received that well. And I, I guess I feel like the, the lead-up into Second Light didn't have a lot of momentum behind it, but then you, all of your impressions and are pretty positive. And we did talk about your review very briefly when you put it up uh, a couple weeks back, um, or just over a week back, actually. Uh, so, it seems like it was a surprisingly strong follow-up to that game, which is you know always good to see, rather than the alternative.
1: Yeah, because I, I don't think it's hard to surpass the original game, but you know, it's like improvements can always be made if you take your feedback and use that to make a better idea. And if you get the opportunity to, because a lot of games don't get the opportunity to make sequels where they could, you know, make whatever ideas from they had originally better, right?
0: Right. And yeah. it just seems, it seems like they just took, kind of took all the feedback from the first game and uh, used some smart you know, implementation from like, like what you mentioned, like with the Rise of Battle system to, to create something that's, you know, just of a higher bar.
2: Yeah i guess i guess the only thing now out of that the whole blue reflection project thing is like the upcoming mobile game that they have yet to really surface again which is sort of weird because you have the protagonist of that unreleased mobile game so far in in this game too
1: i guess that's supposed to be xion right because i never played a mobile game so i don't
2: know no one has played the mobile game because (laughs) because it hasn't come out so your your guess is as good as anyone to be honest
1: Yeah, because he'll keep saying, it's like, oh yeah, you gotta play the mobile game, you gotta play this. It's like, no, you absolutely do not need to play anything else. The only thing that you probably are kind of confused about is maybe where these powers come from. That's about it, because they never explained about the Reflector's powers that much, except in the first game. That's the only thing that you'd probably be lost
3: about. They kind of like a fairly major thing to be confused about, though. Yeah, but they didn't even explain it that well in the original game.
2: Yeah, like they, they, it's like it's it's basically it's magical girl bullshit, you know. It's that's yeah. it, that's what it it is summed up to.
1: Like, they,
2: yeah, they that's like of- the only context yeah.
1: you've been missing if you skip the first game. But yeah. I don't even think that was explained well in the first game as well. It was explained
2: so. well in the first game. Like they they sort of go into the, in the anime, but like not really that major extent. Like you'll have characters from like the first game, like I think it's like Yuzu and Lime show up in the anime. Yeah, but
1: well. they, they're kind of cryptic. Characters in this game, you don't know what they're doing. They just keep saying, "Oh, it's like you don't belong here." <laughs> no, <but laughs> that's a secret for you to discover. That's funny.
2: Do you think they have a good shot of like having a third game in this series?:
1: I think they do. But I don't know. We'll probably have to wait till Atlier Rise of Three comes out. Who knows? So maybe they'll take some ideas from that and yeah. maybe use their battle system.
2: Yeah, I get some from Sophie, too, some, and some from Rise of Three and whatever, and Fairy Tail 2, when they announced that for mm-hmm. sure. So a couple of the
0: features that are up on the site in the last couple of weeks, we've already talked about uh, Josh's Babylon's Fall kind of preview article based on the closed beta. So if you want to see his thoughts out in written form, we do have that up on the site. Uh, Another uh, feature that we put up on the site in the last week is that we were able to get some uh, questions answered from the developers behind the upcoming Uh, remaster re-release of monster monster rancher one and two dx which is coming to switch uh, on december 9th so monster rancher is a game from the original playstation one where it would generate creatures based on which disc you slotted into uh, the console and which obviously can't happen here so basically the the remaster will use a CD database instead. So it's kind of like more based on software algorithms rather than what CDs you have on hand. Uh, we were able to get some questions answered. Uh, so we kind of have like a FAQ back and forth interview sort of piece up on the site for the Monster, Monster Rancher 1 and 2 remaster. So wanted to give that a shout out because uh, uh, I know that we do have a couple people on site that are big fans of that series. It's its 25th anniversary next year. So it sounds like they're really kind of have like a renewed vigor for the series. It's always kind of it released around the same time as like Pokemon and Digimon back in the late 90s, uh, but never really saw that sense of popularity. Uh, but still trucking along new new game coming out in just a few weeks. Uh, and it was you such a c-
2: sick series back in the day to be honest, because you'd have like you'd have like nerds like. Buying like the like the latest like Nirvana album, for example, that like they didn't fucking fuck uh, listen to it, and you're like, I just want a monster from this. Like I heard from the, uh, online that like the Nirvana album that released like gave me like a Pixie, and I want that. You know, it was so sick. It was so <laughs> stupid. It was fun.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if the uh this new like CD database setup will have quite the same like unique magic to it, but
1: that's
2: yeah, uh, it's tough. Yeah. yeah,
0: but yeah, it's it's kind of a hard thing to emulate, but I'm sure, you know, obviously they still have a lot of passion behind the project. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how well these are received uh, when the remasters come out. But yeah, we do have that interview up on the site. Uh, we have quite a few news headlines this uh, this week, uh, more than the last couple of weeks. But uh, a lot of them are kind of like end of the year wrap up uh, early in the next year detailing. Uh, so let's just kind of go through them. Uh, the biggest news of the week, uh, at least the one that I put first on the list here, is involving our favorite game, uh, up- our favorite <laughs> upcoming game, other than maybe Elden Ring, and that is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, it seems like this game has kind of endeared itself to us over the last few months uh, from its initial weird unveiling to all the details about it as we've been able to go hands on and things like that. Uh, we we finally learned about the cast uh, last month, the, the whole uh, we learned about Neon, the fourth warrior of light. Uh, we learned about the princess and some of the settings. And basically, we got some more details coming out this week. Uh, they talked about the city of Provoka, which is a town from the original game that makes a reappearance in this reimagining. We get a new cast of characters, including their English and Japanese voice actors, uh, an antagonist, Captain Bick. Why are you get so hard
2: on Bick? What the hell? Is it Bick? Remember Am I Bick? pronouncing that wrong? Yeah, it's
0: Bick. Right, I think it's Bick.
2: I'm All pretty right. sure I'm,
0: i i what i should have done is i should have played the pixel remaster of final fantasy one so that i had like a really solid foundation going into the reimagining of some of these characters and locations but uh i, I, think, was like
2: the cow- the, I think was like the cowardly pirate that like opens up like that pathway i think the, in the waters oh uh it'll be interesting to see like how these uh like how
0: these characters are reimagined now that they have to have like you know, full animations and full models, and like a, a stronger uh, appearance in the story and things like that. I do think some of the English voice talent is uh pretty good. Like Queen, the Queen is voiced by Mary McGlynn, who uh, I grew up knowing as the voice of Makoto Kusanagi from Ghost in the Shell in the English uh, version, at least. So yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, there's a few, there's a, there's a few other like Fred Tassico, Fred. T- Tadaskior, I hope we're not pronouncing that right, is the king. Uh, obviously, there, there, we also know the, the Japanese cast as well. Um, but uh, some of the side characters have been uh, detailed here about you know their their interaction with the story and how they interface with the. Oops, sorry, if you heard my dog in the background there. Uh, how they interface with the four warriors of light. Uh, so we have up all the details on the site. Go ahead. I was going to say at least they don't have Bryce Peppenbrook. Yeah, no Bryce Papenbrook, so nothing to <laughs> nothing, nothing to complain about here on
2: an English front. But uh. <laughs> yeah, this game is gonna—I'm looking really looking forward to it. This game looks so sick. <laughs> yeah, they they do give a little bit of detail
0: about some of the battle systems, mainly the um the break gauge that both the enemies and Jack will have, as well as the soul shield mechanic, which allows you to basically reflect enemy abilities back at them. So yep. I don't know if those were present in the neighborhood. Neighbor. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So so now so now we just got them detailed uh, in text form. So
1: uh, I'm just gonna interrupt. Is this kind of like a reverting of the stagger system from thirteen or from seventh seven remake? This break um, system.
2: Sorta like it, but in a more action context, right? So you're more you are more uh proactive about it and you're you yeah, have more you can dictate it uh more easily. So like you uh so, yeah, it, it is sort of like the stagger system FF13, vaguely. It, it basically gives you openings to like do like maybe an instant kill or whatnot in this one.
1: Dang.
0: Yeah. Well, which is something that you've seen kind of from these 3D action uh, RPGs, also with like stamina gauges or block gauges or yeah. poise or whatever you want to call it, just like their take on that
2: kind of well-worn mechanic. So, yeah, uh, don't, don't yeah. fix what ain't broken, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 real unique thing is the the soul shield here because you can basically just absorb attacks and then fling it back at enemies. So like the Garland boss fight, for example, like you'll want to like absorb like certain attack, a fire attack, and then fire it up. And he's doing like an ice thing or something, you know. So it's it's a uh, it's a system that like you 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 get a, be- a better understanding about like the enemy behavior patterns and attack cycles because you engage with that system.
0: Yeah, and the there's apparently the UI is very clean. Where uh, certain abilities that are designated in like a purple text are the ones that can be uh, soul shielded. Yes. Uh, so I do kind of like that. That it's that it's very clean. Where it's like we are letting you know that you have this option here for the specific ability to use this reflect mechanic here. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, that that'll be a late March release, March twenty second, I believe. Sorry, March eighteenth. So. In the very tail end of that Q1 window, that'll be packed. Arc 18. Yep. Uh, certain people might find this interesting. Certain people might find this absolutely pointless. But we did learn who the nominees were for the Game Awards uh, coming up, obviously, later this year. And obviously, in our site, we're interested about what the uh, RPG candidates were. So... Mm-hmm. It seems like that uh, there are five games up for nomination for the Game Awards RPG of the Year, and that is Cyberpunk 2077. Again, it fell, it fell outside of the window last year. Monster Hunter Rise. Yes, Monster Hunter is in the RPG category.
2: Uh, deal with
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you
2: go. I mean, there uh, you go. The, the, it's a, the Game Awards said so, so no more, no one will like bitch at us anymore. Well, Monster well, well ca- the Capcom
0: RPG. says so. Now the Game Awards says so. Yeah. So,
2: oh. okay. Uh,
0: they're uh, they, they they yep uh, scar scarlet nexus which i think is kind of a surprising addition but cool to see shin yeah. megami tensei five and tales of arise so uh, i guess i don't want to drill too much into this because obviously this is just one of many award shows like we're going to have our own obviously there's like the golden joysticks there's bafta and things like that uh but this is kind of like the most like Pop culture blockbuster sort of one, because obviously it's paired with a bunch of the game announcements and things like that. Uh let's go cyberpunk. Woo! Yeah, do we do we think there are any uh omissions from the RPG category nope. that there, really should be the, here?
2: There's all the RPGs that mattered. But, the Cyberpunk, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We could look at our master list for a game of the year and say, no, what's oh, really <laughs> here? here.
1: Uh, we'll get the Grand Theft Auto remaster. Maybe that's an RPG in some ways.
2: <laughs> I mean, of course, there's a shitload of like <laughs> omissions here that we would like to see. Like, I don't know why Cyberpunk is here. To be honest, I get it because it's like it's a popularity contest. I mean, if Kyoto Reeves, if Keanu Reeves was to pick one of these, we know which one he would pick, and then we're following Keanu Reeves, so Cyberpunk's gonna win.
0: Now, so obviously Cyberpunk was eligible because but it feels like it's kind of like taking up a spot just because of recognition of how how much hype it had going into the game that completely fizzled out once it released. So it seems it, I do agree that that seems like a weird omission. Um in some of the other categories I did see a lot of people uh voicing frustration about the omission of Forza from some of the other uh, general categories. I, I feel have- like
3: Y'all are ignoring like the elephant in the room for the RPG that got snubbed from the nominations here.
1: What is Neil that? the World
3: review? Oh yeah,
2: I was
1: actually.
3: Well, it's thinking already maybe... on sale
1: on Black early Black Friday, so I guess everyone forgot about like that. Like There are
2: there are many like RPGs that deserve you know a slot here, and it's just that's just one of many, right? You know, So it's just it is what it is. The game awards are, are going to be the game awards. I mean. Yeah, we have other our uh RPG representations other categories too, like they have the near replicant re-release and best score and whatnot. And oh, then, a, uh,
0: yeah, you might you might argue that as another snub is near replicant, even though you could say oh it's a remaster, but still.
2: Yeah, I mean <laughs> I look, I'm not saying I like I I really like the work that Okave put into remastering the whole entire Original New York thing, and it's like it's uh, obviously rec- uh, orchestrated live instruments and whatnot. But a certain part of me is like the first th- the the first time I heard those tracks were from the original, so I sort of yeah, ha- I, I sort of have a bias or more. I, I I like the originals better, you know. Not to say that they were the remaster is bad. I just like the originals better. And I wish there was a, a toggle option. Wow, well, oh, yeah. there
1: is a way you could do that. You can just get New York. <laughs> on the backwards capable Xbox, playing playing Gensholt.
2: I mean, I can just rip my new PS3 game and put it on an emulator, and then, there you go as well. It emulates
3: so, really well in RPCS3. See, see. So I will, I will yeah. say though that I am kind of
0: pleased to see Scarlet Nexus here because I feel like Scarlet Nexus kind of had a lukewarm reception, but I kind of took to it pretty like. I think better than the consensus. I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool to see here. I don't think it should
2: win, but I think it's cool to see it nominated. Do you Uh, you, you, you want to buy my deep, dark secret of the year? That's like probably a hot take to a lot of people. What is that? I I like Scarlet Nexus more than Tales of Arise. I, I think I did too. Ah, I, well, I don't want
0: I, to. I don't, don't want to just latch on. to a your opinion, game of the I, year.
2: <laughs> Here we go. Like,
1: I probably get shot for saying this, but I like Tales of Berseria more than Persona Five. Hey, well, there
0: you go. Well, I think uh, we're, we're talking about the here and now, Chow. We're talking about 2021 releases. Yeah, Chow, well, was like, you
1: know, say, that was back. That was back in my day. Uh, uh, yeah, well,
2: Chow, back in the day, I preferred the Dreamcast over the N sixty four. Back in the halcyon days of 2016, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs>
0: Uh, but no all right so that's those are the nominations uh it'll be interesting just to kind of keep tracks on who, i don't know what what the game awards uh, what the big popularity contest decides who wins but hey they've they've had some uh, kind of enlightened picks before like when they picked a uh, sekiro as the winner a few years back so uh maybe they'll surprise mm-hmm. us uh, they actually Is from software really that like niche these days though uh, that's a good point yeah it's kind, it's kind of like so. your
2: it's kind of like the safe out there pick or whatever yeah. Yeah, the the from software is not not really niche anymore for sure. They, they they've I don't know if they're like well obviously not as well known as like something like Square Enix and Final Fantasy obviously, but you know I think they're like A or double A for whatever that means. recognitions. <laughs> they're, they're 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 definitely not niche anymore, which is
3: why we're never getting another Armored Core. Oh wait a second, wait a second. Hasn't Final Fantasy Fifteen like almost crossed ten million? I'm pretty sure Dark Souls Three has sold more. I have no idea. Let me double check because no. I. I <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that'd that be cool then, I guess. I don't know. I don't keep yep. up with Dark that. Souls 3 has sold over 10 million units as of uh, May 2020. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> Dark Souls, it, at least right now, is bigger than Final Fantasy. Dang. Dang. More like they should just make a good Final Fantasy game. Am I right?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the truth there, Joe. <laughs> Uh Final Fantasy 15 had its moments, okay. A few of them. Uh this isn't quite an announcement and it doesn't I don't think it surprises us, but we did get uh kind of like a little bit of insight about what uh Rio I can't ever say that. Damn it. RGG Studios. Uh you got Gotoku Thank you, uh, RGD Studios, the the team behind the Akuza and Judgment series. Um, we got a little bit of insight uh, from the latest issue of Famitsu. Uh, obviously, we did learn about the departure of Nagoshi about a month back, and now the studio is helmed by Masayoshi Yokoyama. So he discussed a little bit about the studio's current outlook and what their current projects are in uh, Famitsu magazine. They did talk about and confirm that yes, Yakuza 8 is in development. Of course, what we got over here in the West as um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, and kind of predicted, but some confirmation that it will be an Ichiban Kasuga story. He will be the main character. It will be set, they say, several years after the story of Like a Dragon. So I uh, don't know how long several is, but kind of the uh, kind of the expected roadmap that i think people kind of want to see after it seems like people took to like a dragon to ichiban pretty pretty strongly so that is in the works um uh, the the, ju-
2: the, the, here's the, here's a secret the the nice thing about the yakuza series is all like all their entries you just have to think about like the the year the original japanese release was and that's the stu- that's the year the story was set in
0: oh i kind of knew that they had like obviously the yearly progression but i didn't know if it was Tethered so strongly to the release year, but I guess it is.
3: Yeah. Uh, All right. That's the reason why there are multiple Yakuza's that take place around Christmas time, because that's (laughs) where, when the game released around there. Uh,
0: But they also do mention that the, uh, the judgment series is still very important to them and unannounced titles in both the Yakuza and judgment series are in the works. I don't know. Like technically Yakuza eight is not announced. Uh, So, well, I guess technically, I guess, if they say that Yakuza 8 tentative title will yeah, be a sequel did. is that announced? Is that not announced? If they announced it. I
2: mean, of course they were going to New Yakuza, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's known. That's cool. Um that's that's exciting. Um I don't the the translate the translation says the judgment series is also very important to us. I don't know what the fuck that means because like does that mean you're going to make a new one eventually or it's not it's nice saying that it's very important to you but uh, man after all those rumors coming out about like the talent agency and whatnot i'm like kimura's ta- talent agency i'm like
3: yeah know. well it's good to see that that hasn't basically put a bullet well, in the series so well if judgment continues to be made with the same protagonist uh at least i can play it on my new xbox series x
2: yeah, I guess that's the thing, right? If they, if they announce a new judgment and we still have the same protagonist, then I guess you know that series is okay to live for now. <laughs> that's going to be the the weird like deciding factor. Like, hopefully, the I, I would love to believe that like that this means that there will be another judgment game. I I really hope so. Um, I I think the the most the the more exciting thing to me is that they're actually making a game that's not part of Yakuza and Judgment because the last time they did that was like fuck I don't know Binary Domain.
0: Yeah, probably. The translation from Gamatsu says, uh, we'll actively challenge ourselves to create new titles, not only for judgment, uh, as circumstances permit. So it seems like I, they, I have, mean, guess, they
2: have aspirations outside those two series. I guess you can, I don't know if you can count the Virtual Fighter or Five Final Shodown, because that is built on their engine, and they did work on that as well. So I don't know.
1: What about Super Monkey Ball, guys? Super Monkey Ball?
3: Did they work on that?
1: Oh, no, I just remember something about Negoshi being
2: rarely. No, rare. no,
3: you got, uh, yeah, RGG Studios did do uh, the new Super Monkey Ball.
2: Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, wait, did they do that too? That's crazy. Yeah,
3: I mean, it makes uh. sense because, like, RGG Studios used to be Amusement Vision, so yeah. it's like they are the original
2: Monkey That's Ball true. studio. Yeah. yeah, Negoshi was the Monkey Ball dude. That is so. right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really want to see what what, like... I wanted to see make a brand new thing that's not tied to any IP there. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of have two uh two
0: news bits here that are a little bit out of the normal things that we cover, but they're kind of interesting tidbits to kind of discuss for at least a short while. Um the YouTube channel uh, what's it called? Kamiya Chronicles from Cutscenes. So I don't know much about this channel, but they've been running a series of videos over the last month basically about uh, Hideki Kamiya, obviously a uh, executive figure over at Platinum Games who has had his hands in many, many of uh, many, many titles over the past you know 20 years, 15 years. And one of those titles, infamously, is Scalebound, which was announced originally as an Xbox title, but then cancelled back in 2015. Uh, and it's kind of been kind of there's been rumors about whether it was remember when there was a rumor that it was picked up by Nintendo and a lot of weird stuff that people were kind of like bargaining that how scale bound might actually somehow still exist. Uh, but we got some word from basically from Kamiya himself in this recent interview where he basically reflected on kind of a kind of like a. A postmortem about, about about Scalebound and about how the struggles that Platinum Games came up with in terms of why it couldn't end up matching up to his... The, he wanted to make a photorealistic game, Kamiya did. Uh, he wanted to make an online game, uh, but the studio did not have experience with that. They did not have experience with um, the Unreal Engine. Their ambition kind of outstretched their capability at least at the time uh so it was almost kind of like an apology to microsoft about not being able to make, have the project come to fruition so it it's it kind of a very like cool sort of open and earnest and honest reflection on that whole saga and kind of almost putting like a
3: bookend on it because it never really kind of got one of those it feels oddly like Timely to hear about issues with Platinum trying to deal with uh, an online game with the whole Babylon's Fall stuff going on.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a weird thing. I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough situation because you know Platinum games they do produce good stuff, but they sort of have this weird reputation of having a very they they, they often get into trouble development more often than not when you saw them in that weird. Having to be a mercenary group and doing licensed IPs like for uh, TMNT TMNNT and Legend of Korra and whatnot, that phase. And then now and then, you know, more recently when they had a fallout with Side Games about Grand Blue Fantasy Relink and them being taken off that project. And then they also had like another um the I think they had a, a mobile game with Side Games called Lost Order, I think, and that was canned um silently. Then you have their things like with World of Demons, which was touted to be a mobile game at first, but then that moved to Apple TV, and then now you have this.
3: Well, delay. I mean, World of Demons is also on iOS. It's just it's less that it became an Apple TV game, and more like pretty much any Apple TV game is a port of a mobile game.
2: I mean, that 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 never released as a mobile game. That's the thing. It was it was touted to 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 outlets for preview as a mobile game. But then after the, after those initial previews about what the game was, we didn't hear from that game for years until they said, "Oh, there's an Apple TV game now." But there, in the, in the UI and the way the game plays, it was clearly supposed to be a mobile gotcha game at first. Then you have the like, you know these things now with Soul Cresta being delayed to an indefinite date, even though it's so close to release. You know, it's Platinum Games. Once again, they make really cool stuff. I really like Mad Roll. I really like Anarchy Reigns. I really like Automata and uh, you know all sorts of other stuff from them, but it's it's tough, it's tough to see them like you know uh, consistently go through like development struggles and hardships and like they feel so unstable, you know more often than not. And it you know it really sucked when uh, sucked when Scalebound got canceled. And you know I I I liked I like the team there. I like Tamura. I really like Kamiya. They're very open and honest when they're allowed to be. You know, during interviews and behind the scenes and stuff, and seeing their development processes, but it's just I don't know what. There's something. There's just something about the way you know things are. Not necessarily by them. Not to say by them. Maybe higher ups, but like the company's mismanaged.
3: Yeah. I. I. It's not just their game development. Like speaking as someone that was very excited for the Wonderful One Hundred One Remastered Kickstarter and actually pledged in for it the way that they treated that kickstarter any of the issues whatsoever the lack of communication the lack of outright working with people that had issues from start to finish even even now there's people that still have issues with it like there was a whole like problem where it's like any backers in like europe they were worried about having to pay like Customs fees or something when it was supposed to be handled on their end, and then there was stuff like that. On my with my circumstances, they advertised the PC release as an actual physical release because, like, the preview image they had said PC DVD, and then they later said, "Oh, it's a Steam key." And then once they announced, "Oh, we're just going to give Steam keys to everyone because of the delay," I was like, "Well, what the hell?" <laughs> And I tried to get it switched to a Switch um, physical, but they were so, I shouldn't say this, but I will say this. Um, In another server I'm in, there's a dude from the Yeti there, and he even outright mentioned that it was pain trying to get them to communicate even with their own business partner through the yeti because they were the ones doing like the yeti were the ones doing all of the actual distribution of the physical copies of the games and all of the backer rewards that weren't just games which makes sense because they're a relatively large company in that sort of space it makes sense that platinum would work with them but platinum was basically throwing them under the bus wasn't actually communicating with either their customers or the yeti and by the time they actually got back to them at least in my case They weren't able to do anything about, like, um, swapping the PC physical to a Switch physical, even though if they had had enough time to contact... Well, if Platinum had actually gotten back to them in time, they would have been able to do something. But they spent so long just basically completely ignoring their calls for basically every issue that people had, that by the time they finally got back to them, it was too late. And it's just... Looking at how mismanaged their actual games are, recently. And then looking at how, like, even just a glimpse behind the curtain with the Kickstarter situation, it's like, I used to be a huge Platinum fan. I, I loved their games, I played pretty much anything that they came out with, like, sight unseen. But even before Babylon's Fall got re like revealed, I've been really, really worried about that company since that experience. Because that is not... An, an experience that you would expect from a company that's being managed correctly yeah what I does mean, platinum,
0: what does platinum have in the works other than uh, Babylon's soul
3: Band- Band- three All right
2: <laughs> yeah um and, and you know and uh, so, some of the things that like you've been speaking about like in terms of like communication issues, that's part of the Camille's apology, like you know in terms of like. Trying to make communicate between uh, Microsoft and having you know translating between Japanese and English and trying to convey you know ideas and goals and whatnot on that development in that through that language barrier, like this just seems to be like an ongoing issue for them when it tries when it comes to like the global audience and glo- like global matters and whatnot. Um, it just the, the like even to this day, I feel like the communication breakdown is it's still it's still a mess. You know, it seems like though those pipelines are still not in place. They're still unstable. It's still very, like, God knows what's happening in the development of, 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 of Babylon's Fall, you know?
0: Well, they haven't committed to a release date, as we've discussed, so hopefully they can take their feedback from these betas, and hopefully with Banana 3 and a surprising release for Babylon's Fall, maybe it, can, maybe it can surprise us in a good way. So Yeah,
2: hopefully, you know?
0: Here's kind of a surprise update, and this is not one that I was aware of until uh, about an hour ago. And that is, is that we got a new free content pack released for Outriders, which I feel like we discussed. We had we had quite a bit of opportunity to discuss Outriders uh, earlier this year because both James and Josh played a, a significant amount of it. And uh, late, la- sorry, last week, the New Horizon update launched for free. And then alongside the announcement of a World Slayers expansion in 2022 and i did also see that the player count for this game did spike with the launch of the free new horizon update so i will ask the the necessary question is that have either of you had any interest in checking this out
2: in outriders
3: not only no but hell no (laughs) (laughs)
2: um I mean, I, I, in my eyes, I'm, I'm done with that game. You know, I've completed all the, con- like, they did, all, uh, this whole story and did the expeditions and whatnot. I know they add... with the New Horizon update, they added new four new expeditions and they have a transmog system, rebalanced the classes, removed the timers from expeditions. It's just like, it's just that that they like. I don't really have like a strong, like, I, I would, I would need like a whole bunch of friends who I played like who were into it. To like drag me back in and then try and then play it again with them. Um, I don't know if we're gonna do like the World Slayer expansion either. Like it's just one of those sits like I had my fun with it. I poured like it's
3: not a bad game. Like, you know, I I had my I Oh had yeah, it. don't get I don't get at least me wrong. 50 hours into it. Like I put 50 hours into it, at least, you know. It's not a bad game. I just feel like and this feels kinda of mean to say. It was the game that everyone played. During a dry period, where it's where a bunch of people that had next gen consoles desperately wanted something to play on them, and it was like one of the first early next gen games, and since it had cross-play and was co op, and it was in, it released during a bit of a dry period, people were just like, "Okay, I'll play Outriders."
2: Yeah, I mean that's you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the unfortunate part was it took uh, months for them to like iron out multiplayer issues, play issues. I don't even know if it's, like, absolutely all fixed to this day. I have no idea. But it took took a lot of time for them to, like, iron out technical issues with that game.
3: I see Square Enix, like, a month or so ago saying, oh, we foresee Outriders to become a huge franchise for us. And I'm like, buddy, no, no. Outriders 2 is not going to do nearly as well as the first one.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to it because I like the people can fly devs. Um, and it was fun. I'm not sure if it would do as successful as this game because of the time and place. But the, you know, if I if they did an outriders two and like they uh, they improve a lot on it, like I'd be down. Sure, why not? You know, I didn't hate it. But uh, apparently, though, like I'm looking at some Steam
0: charts that just just to kind of get a globe like a kind of a high level overview of how it's doing. Uh, but outriders has more players right now, just under ten thousand, than it's had since like April or at least May. So mm-hmm. apparently you know some people at least are willing to try this out and maybe the announcement of an of an expansion also coming next year will mean that it will people will stick around cuz my understanding is is that before this free update was announced there wasn't any known roadmap or pipeline and this was yeah, kind of like out of is, nowhere uh,
2: this, this was, ne- service game. This, right. this, was ne- this was never pitched as a games as a service game you know this was never pitched as that they were always like if people want more content after release you know well, well, We'll, we'll make it but it's never like hey these are do your dailies do your weeklies this is never that type of game this was a a game that had like a definite start and definite end to it yeah
0: but so, but yeah so now it's got just the announcement of an expansion on the way so uh, we'll see if that keeps people around or if it will just kind of plateau it looks like it plateaued right around like a thousand concurrent players for the last several months uh, about ten times that now so uh I guess at least it seems like it's successful on release. I don't know if it's been out long enough to know how it's been received. Uh, doesn't seem like we'll get uh, firsthand impressions on those, but it'll be interesting to see like how it all uh, carries forward into the expansion release next year. Uh, we did get some smaller news here. Uh, this is one that I am not well-versed on. We got some new teaser for an upcoming Compile Heart game featuring characters from the hyper dimension Neptunia series even though I don't know if we know it's if it's in that series because they, they play a lot with crossovers and cameos and things like that uh, so well, I don't go ahead so,
3: let's, yes. let's yes. ask our resident hyper dimension <laughs> Neptunia expert hyper dimension Kieran Ch- Chow? Chow? is that what? you?
2: no
1: but I, did get, I did buy a new uh, uh, CPU does that count?
2: Mm, uh uh, no. so the 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 teaser that went up uh for this was you know the the new neptunia game that they're eventually gonna announce soon is uh for the sisters of the the main characters so uh uni was the sister of noir uh nep was a sister of uh neptune um xbox one didn't have uh a sister and then there's two sisters for Blanc, which are ram and rom i think um and the, the like you know the it's gonna be funny because I've, i i have this weird uh i'm thinking this is gonna be an updated re-release of uh hyper dimension neptunium mark II, which is uh, because that game was the sisters were the main characters that was the first time they debuted in the series so I'm wondering if they're gearing up for like teasing an announcement of like a re-release, updated re-release of that game. Because you know, Neptune if there's one thing the Neptunia series loves these days is re-releasing old games that they already released. So I'm like, I don't know. If it's a new game with the sisters, I'm like, okay, we'll see if it's not ass, but um I'm thinking it's just a re release of an old game. Like the usual. But that's just so, me. So basically you're just you just
0: don't think that this is going to be like the the precedent isn't there for them to announce a new game uh, other and than a like crossover uh, with the uh Well, I'm just going from the
1: track record. They usually yeah. release a lot of these remasters and remakes quite often, so don't expect anything new.
2: Yeah, like that that the like until until proven wrong, I'm thinking it's just to be a re-release of an old game. That's the because that seems like the the current trend. Uh, that that's their MO. Reason. Yep. I mean, they fucking, what was that PS5 release? It was like a a re-release of like a remake? I got this.
3: I got this. So basically, there was the enhanced re-release slash remake on Vita of the original PS3 version. So that was the first re-release. Then that got ported to PC. Then that got ported to PS4 in Japan. And then that got ported to PS5. So there you go. No, we'll <laughs> it was <okay>. Say, say <laughs> it what we said backwards. It's, it's it's easy to remember if you think about the fact that the go 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 in its name is also standing for the fact it's the fifth re-release or the fifth uh, release. yeah
0: Yeah. Well, we, uh, this the the actual the tease is for an announcement coming uh, November twenty fifth in I believe the Famitsu magazine. So maybe we'll know. Well, no, we should know by uh, by next week what this
2: was. So stay tuned. Check back with us.
1: Yeah. Maybe they get more ports in Skyrim.
2: Don't no, don't don't say that. I i don't want to look into that. No, <laughs> we did get
0: a new trailer for Elex 2, which we also got the release date uh, not so long ago before March 1st next year, how it's going to be like in the wake of Elden Ring. Uh, we talked about this at last podcast or maybe the podcast before. Um, I kind of poo-pooed on it, basically saying that we haven't seen enough of the game, that it's basically barely been marketed and they haven't shown much at all that was really enticing or compelling. Uh, They did show a trailer showing the game's five playable factions. The original game had three, three that you could ally with anyway. And I thought that 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 part of the game was actually its strength, how it actually like really, uh, I'm talking about the original game here, how which faction you end up allying with really changed like the destination of the story, and what sort of character you would end up playing. Uh, So to have an uh, early trailer focusing on that aspect of the game for Elex 2, I think is a smart move. And over the course of this trailer showing the five factions, it's actually like the first real extended look at just the game itself. Not a CG render, not just marketing like uh, the the different editions of the game, but actually showing gameplay. So I kind of appreciate that for like the first gameplay trailer is focused on the strength of the original game uh it's still not a looker like visually technically uh technically but i do think that it, it's the best look that the game has had so far uh so it's still got kind of a kind of a you know an unceremonious release date being in the wake of so many big titles uh early in q1 next year but this is the first trailer that i've seen for this game that i don't immediately like cringe or scoff at like all right i could see i could see this i I see what it's doing it looks nice in spades uh in spots i mean uh it's so we got a new trailer up on the site that kind of goes over the factions it has the three original factions from the first game the berserkers the outlaws and the clerics uh it, it also adds the albs who were the antagonists in the first game as well as a new faction called the morcons who basically are survivors that used to live underground and are basically they were isolationists and now are starting to try to spread uh into the uh the other regions of the world so it's first time i've looked at Elex 2 and not immediately like been uh, dreading it i suppose so
2: uh the the, the promotional marketing for this game has been uh, an odd one or continues to be an odd one yeah it still looks like a
0: late generation ps3 early generation ps4 game it's not a looker the environments are kind of drab the like colors are kind of flat but neither was the first game and that's not really what i was looking for here so uh hopefully just the gameplay and like the the interaction between these different factions ends up being the strength which i'm not going to say i expect will be that but i expect that if this game has like a a singular highlight that it will be that
2: but yeah because that that was like the the first game's like highlight right like all the faction yeah at, at,
0: at a high level there's been so many games that have like, I'm thinking like Fallout games or whatever, or Bethesda mm-hmm. games in general. Well, they have like factions, but you can kind of just play all sides until the very end. It doesn't end up really mattering. Or in Elex, if you like ended up being... uh. Sympathetic towards one group of people, it would like lock you out of being able to do certain things with other factions. Like like these choices mattered. And it's kind of frustrating in a way, but it actually means it actually kind of is rewarding in other ways where it's like, oh, this is something that I'm experiencing because of the decisions I made, rather than everything just being like, here's the, here's the tech area flavored region of the game, because these people are technologists, or here's the the berserkers, I believe, are kind of like very shamanistic and uh, spiritual, and it's like, oh, they're uh, that's what they get, and they're that they you know, that's that flavor of the game. But you can just kind of play all sides and ex- exhaust all of it and see everything if you want. Elex didn't really work like that; it actually meant yeah, that uh, Elex, yeah, you, you have uh, role play commitment. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, commitment. So hopefully, Elex two does that as well to the same extent as Elex one. Uh, March first, the week after Elden Ring.
2: I don't know why I feel like I have to keep breaking that up. Yeah, that, that, that's just our, our radar guard of So How many days away is it from Elden Ring? Is it, before, is it pre-Elden Ring or post-Elden Ring? Oh, yeah. The two eras of our time.
0: <laughs> A P-E-R and post-E-R. I don't know, before Elden Ring, B-E-R and post-Elden Ring. <laughs> uh, coming next month, we do have Grand Blue Fantasy Fest, which is basically for our site, Kind of like the yearly check-in for Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which we tend to get like incremental bit pieces of news for that game, uh, and we got uh, we got dates for this year. So uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Fest. Uh, 2021 will run from december 11th to december 12th specifically on the 12th we will get an inside look at grand blue fantasy relink we don't know exactly what yet and exactly how much they'll show it's usually been kind of incremental stuff each year i know a lot of people have been really hyped for this game uh, and it's obviously been kind of long in the tooth in terms of its development cycle so don't know if we'll see significantly more than we saw last year but it is on the itinerary
2: and obviously we will report on it based on uh, uh, it it being the itinerary as like having like an actual segment along with uh grand blue uh versus which is the fighting game like at least it's actually looking good it's gonna it feels like it's gonna be more than just like a teaser and like a gameplay small gameplay thing hopefully i th- this has to be the year that they give a release date this has to be the year this is gonna be crazy if there's not gonna be a release date. all
0: right yeah so, i'm 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 trying to re- uh, go back to see uh what we saw last year so late last year so we, we got we got a pretty beefy trailer in 2019 and then we didn't hear again until december 2020 where we heard plans for a 2022 release date as well as uh about 20 minutes of gameplay footage this was uh, what's what's the heroine's name cheetah Oh yeah, so it showed it showed some gameplay uh, with her leading a party like on an airship. Yeah. And then basically that's last we've heard of it, and we're going to get hopefully a similar, at least, uh, length of gameplay footage this year. But it does share its time slot with Versus, so I don't know if that's auspicious or not. Uh,
2: but Versus is a weird one, because I forgot if they're... Uh, child, do you remember if they're like done with their current season pass in Versus?
1: Uh, I don't think so.
2: Do they have one more character in it?
1: um uh, i think vera might be the last thing oh I... yeah they,
2: yeah they did uh confirm vera as the as the upcoming one i don't know if that she was the last reveal or not
1: yeah but i i think she's playable now nobody talks about it it's like the whole fighting game is dead because the ed code was garbage
2: wait wait is, is vera already out for it i thought she was just announced uh they did show clips of her though Oh, okay, but she's is she, has she actually been released though or not? That,
1: I, I have no idea. I dropped oh, the yeah. game before season two launched because I just hated the net code, I couldn't stand waiting. Dude, for no, five no, no for like, the patch.
2: like even beyond the net code, the, the state of that game is dire because like they just like nerf all the fun stuff out. Last I heard, like they just made a lot of weird balance changes that doesn't make the game fun.
1: Yeah, um, like yeah. every patch has made the game worse because they want to balance games. Uh,
0: Vera and, does not join until December.
1: There you go. Oof.
0: Yeah. So I wonder it's, if that's basically what this will talk about.
1: It could be the last season pass, who knows. Like even like they cheaped out on like giving like mobile stuff too. Cuz usually back in the old days it's you buy that character, you get also cool skins for the mobile game. Now you don't even get that anymore. You know, it's just like some SSR ticket that you might not even get a good character.
2: Yeah, that get that game like I, I don't like the only thing you can like save for that game like in versus is like we're gonna have roll, like if they announce rollback netcode and like a, a, a major balance patch to like make the game fun again. I think that's the only way you kind of get players back to it. I don't know if it's a little too late though.
1: I so, think well, it's too late. They would have to sell like a sequel or something like yeah. that.
2: And and uh, Arxis is just, like very busy now with Strive content and the uh, DFO fighting game. But yeah, for but I imagine the versus thing has to be small compared to Relink for this block. I would hope you know, but they have 40 minutes to make something happen in this segment. Um ho- hopefully hopefully they uh and give a release date and hopefully the game is fun, you know? That's mm-hmm. all we can really hope at this uh, point.
1: even the mobile games kind of die right now. I haven't seen like any significant update in the mobile game. Yeah, right? all, all, all my
2: all my friends are just like whatever to so the mobile game right now. The, it feels like the, this is like a really bad year for Grand Blue. It's
1: like ever uh, since covid the game barely updated. I'm not sure... ...straight of the game not having any updates, or they just basically bring all their staff to Uma Musume. That's what I'm thinking, because that game is the most successful franchise they have right now, so they probably don't even care about Granblue anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm thinking of the other side games, like Precon is still uh, coasting, Uma Musume is doing Gangbusters. Um, I, don't, I don't know how other... Dragalia is still alive, I guess. Technically, but
1: yeah. Game's in a dire state. Like I don't know. It's just like I just wish they'd do something about it.
2: Well, you'll get you. Maybe
0: you'll get your wish uh, in a month or less than a month, December 11th and 12th.
2: And, yeah, you can give us the, all the all, all the beefy details on whether they decided to revive the game or not. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I'm only going to care about the relink stuff, and, and, yeah. and I'll I'll be honest. Every time they've shown relink lately, it's been looking worse and worse to me.
1: I think it that's from dropping platinum games, but I, I hear like strange rumors. Like people said that they dropped them because apparently they charge too much and they want something a little bit cheaper, so they try to do everything in house or something like that. That's the rumors I heard from from people, but. You know, you never know. Cause. Well,
0: I've also heard people bargaining saying, well, Platinum Games finished what they were contracted to do. So it was just, that was the end of their working relationship. It wasn't, it was less of a canceling and more that they
2: finished what they were doing, which I don't know. But, like, uh, uh, like, I don't I don't really buy that because even if they finish what they the, they did, you don't fucking delist them from the main staff credits from your site and any yeah. like promo- future promotional stuff. Yeah, that is a build a new studio. Build a new studio to make that game from the ground up again. You know, yeah. you don't fucking do that if they're if that's the only like oh they finished their their part of it. You don't fucking do that. Yeah, then. yeah.
1: It's really like you know? It's like, it's like really... all those you know, it's like those um employees that leave from certain companies. Like, oh, they said they left on the good terms. Like obviously they didn't leave on a good term.
2: Yeah, it's just like something happened behind the scenes, and you know, hopefully one day we'll th- th- someone will shine a light on it. I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be a fascinating story. Like it's not just like I, I like. Uh, just to be clear i never want these theories to like come to light just to see well, who to point the finger to it's not about that it's about like just seeing how the the industry behind the scenes just to, like uh, for my own fascination and curiosity it's not to lay blame on anyone or anything you know Same with the scale about thing, it's not to lay blame anyone or anything it's just a fascinating thing like an insight onto what to, to, like what happened yeah
0: mm mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Psy Games, we did also. Uh, I don't want to oversell this because I've seen headlines kind of overselling this. Uh, we finally got a, another look at Project Awakening, which was a Psy Games project that was announced uh, several years ago, and we haven't seen for like three years. Uh, I think all we've seen is like the original footage of the armored soldier fighting like a T Rex in an arena of some sort. Yeah. Uh, during the Psy Games uh, tech conference, they did show a very small tippet of. Basically just reminding us that Project Awakening still exists and is ostensibly still being worked on. Uh, This footage is basically just a panning shot of a woodland environment for about a minute. Going back to the same like character from before, as far as I can tell, looking over
2: like a valley
0: and yeah, it's just a graphic
2: it. demo thing of that like loading in the assets and how fast that goes and like over a time lapse and whatnot. It's and I think the only thing that like the only tidbit that was interesting from all this is like the the development of Project Awakening is in tandem with the Celista game engine that they're using. So the thing the the progress that they make on the game engine itself influences the direction of Project Awakening. So they're being developed like side by side as this goes. Which is weird <laughs> i i don't know how you do that but it, that's weird
0: yeah i'm looking at our site and obviously we don't cover everything uh but uh for project awakening we have three articles about it we have its original announcement back or yeah it's an initial revelation back in 2018 then apparently we had a podcast episode about it that week so oh. this is back in the old the olden days of the podcast uh, and then uh, this, the what we the the one minute trailer from this week. So, 2018 uh, had that 1920 and most of 21 nothing. So that's that's how little we've seen of this game. Okay,
2: well, what year do you think we'll actually play this? 2026. Wait, f- wait, did you did you both say 26? No, I said 2023. That's what I was. Oh saying. wow, 23. Oh,
0: yeah, you're you're optimistic. Yeah. Wow,
2: yeah.
0: That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: I don't think side games would think that that far long term right no i yeah, don't think they're thinking
0: that long term like they're i don't think they have a plan for 2026 i think that's just by the time they get their engine up and running and by the time they uh get everything put together that that's how much time will have passed i'm deliberately like being really conservative though i'm just like let me discuss a few years out so i don't have to think about it <laughs> or whatever <laughs> Uh, but yeah, cool to, cool to know that they uh, acknowledged the game's existence, even if it
2: was in like a tech demo kind of context. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I feel like the the when this game releases, it's like that there is like the between the two eras. It's it's the the pre Kuro localization era and the post Kuro localization era. No. Where, where where does this game stay? <laughs> that, that's certainly
3: one way to put it. <laughs> Uh, A few
0: other bits of news. Uh, There's there's a bit here that is like some sales updates and some release dates. So we'll kind of uh, more quickly, more briskly go through these. Um, We did get an an update for the uh, Xbox backwards compatibility system, including a bunch of RPGs that are now either newly backwards compatible or they're backwards compatible with the uh, Microsoft's uh, FPS boost. Uh, is Is that the actual terminology they call it? FPS boost? Yes, um, that's the terminology they use. <laughs> All right. And the, the the headliner here, basically because it's kind of relevant to releases this year, is that the Xbox 360 version of Nier, which is Nier Gestalt featuring Papa Nier, endearingly as we call him, is now backwards compatible on uh, the current Xbox consoles, which means that you can now play it at a consistent <laughs> frame rate, which the original Xbox 360 release notoriously did not perform very well, so obviously we had the replicant remastered earlier this year, but if you are absolutely you know in the camp of Papa near all the way, now you can play the xbox three sixty version of the game uh with the f p s boost so
2: yeah the the uh, important thing to note here like the this uh this batch of things being compatible to the xbox this is the final batch uh as far as what they're uh, able to do like uh, all the other titles uh is you either do the licensing or some sort of, like, disagreement or some sort of, like, technical issue so they can no longer add titles to this backwards-compatible program. They've they've stated that they, they've reached the limits of what they can feasibly do uh, on here. So mm-hmm. that, that, was part of the, that was part of the analysis of the Xbox 20th anniversary stuff and whatnot. Um, other notable titles on this list that we mentioned earlier, Binary Domain uh, yeah. is part of this list. Um, you know, uh, other uh, RPGs like Risen and Sacred Two uh, join in. Uh, things I like—I I liked when I saw them—was Fifty Cent, Blood in the Sand. Um, hell yeah! Um, you got uh, what else? Time Splitters. Uh, well, there, there were also too.
0: there were also some games that were already backwards compatible, but I guess uh, didn't have the FPS boost treatment before. And that's mm-hmm. like a Dragon Age series, Fallout, Fallout New Vegas, uh, Final Fantasy XIII two, and Lightning Returns. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Fallout series are an interesting one because like in order to get like Fallout New Vegas is one of my favorites, but in order to get to play nice on PC, you really have to get into like modding soup a bit. So I wonder if this like the console version of those games generally aren't that well received. They're usually kind of like buggy by nature, but I do wonder if if you want an an out of the box solution if the FPS boost for like Fallout 3 or Fallout New Vegas actually ends up being decent because right now the out of the box if you if you just download Fallout Three from or Fallout New Vegas from Steam and try to play it, it's it doesn't run very well on modern systems. So I wonder if playing it on an Xbox
3: with this with the backwards compatibility and the FPS boost would actually be decent. Um, well, I mean, at least for New Vegas, like most people really want to play it with mods, like even yeah, just like the visual mods.
0: Well, yeah, but yeah. That, that's kind of why I specified if you if you just want to play it out of the box but obviously yeah if you wanna if you wanna uh mess, tinker with with mod mod organizer or anything like that then yeah um and then also the uh fable three and and fable anniversary as well were previously backwards compatible but now have the uh f p s boost
3: yeah so i will there's no two um two bits about it like uh, microsoft has done a completely admirable job with uh backwards compatibility for the last several years now or i guess it's been longer than that it's been like over half a decade at this point i think but um what else can we say like they've done enough that i'm completely willing to believe them when they say look we just like licensing and technical issues this is all we can do because they've made like well over a thousand games backwards compatible on xbox one and series x and that's that's a massive undertaking.
2: Yeah, I mean, hell, you know, the, it's it's it was a crazy project, uh, and they they saw it to the completion. And I I agree with you that you know they've been open and honest enough the, over the past decade, you know, to like we've known now like video game licensing very very tricky and hard, you know.
3: So, yeah. Uh, It's a shame that uh, less people will be able to understand the concept of love, but uh, you're just going to have to get an original Xbox for that, or get an original Xbox disc, and then you know what to do. (laughs) Yep. But, uh, man, licensing's hard. But yeah, it's really cool. Like, the, not just, like, The backwards compatibility itself but the fact that microsoft has gone out of their way to increase the resolution for some of these games increase the fps for some of these games like one of the first games i played on that xbox i just got was sonic unleashed at 60 fps because i'd never played it except for like the daytime stages as a mod for the pc version of sonic generations and it's like huh these werehog segments aren't that bad if it's at 60 fps it seems like. Uh-oh. Uh.
2: You know what? It's not pretty good actually. The title of the podcast, the werehog is not that
0: bad. Completely Uh-oh. out of context.
3: <laughs> but uh yeah, it's just really cool seeing them uh do all this. I-, I hope the fact that they said that they're not adding any new titles doesn't preclude any additional like enhancement patches? I still dream of a day that Lost Odyssey can be played at four K sixty.
0: Oh yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a big that's but, a big um, bummer
3: that they never got to that. Well, we still we don't know if they won't do any more enhancements because they haven't specified that. I right. imagine that they won't, but they haven't outright said it. Like the, the same, you're way telling me there's a, a chance. There's a chance either uh, emulation will get there or uh, Microsoft will get there. Whoever does it first. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, and ironically, the only reason I really own an Xbox. But yeah, it's a decent enough excuse.
0: We ha- we have a couple sales updates. Uh, one of them is for Story of Seasons Friends of Mineral Town. Uh it surpassed uh one million sales worldwide. So I think it reached the the milestone slower than Pioneers of Olive Town, but still a million for for that series is pretty remarkable. Um there is a new yeah, there is a new update coming to uh Pioneers of Olive Town where it introduces like spirit quests and new outfits and uh other details that we have in the press release up on the news post on the site, uh, new farming abilities and things like that. So both of those games are seemingly doing pretty well for, uh, for marvelous and 1 million is nothing to sneeze at. The super robot Wars series has also surpassed 19 million copies overall for the whole series. Uh, how many games is that? Josh,
2: uh, that's, I I don't know. uh, 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 It's over 90. It's over 90. Oh, Jesus. I was going to make it. Okay. This is how Mm -hmm. out of touch I am. I
0: was going to make a joke and say, like, well, we just got Super Robot Wars 30. So there's at least 30 games. Uh (laughs) All right. So 19 million over 30 games. That's that's OK. But 19 million over. Well, I don't know; those numbers yeah, are too big like, that I can't. I can't like contextualize. Is that good?
2: But or it's, not one good? Of those, it's one of those things, right? Like it, you have to think about time and place. This is an extremely niche series in terms of like it's like it, the, there's a crossover aspect over like a lot of anime. Like it has like the Guinness Book of World Records of like the series that has like the most anime IP crossovers. That's the title it holds because there's been so much over the years, ever since its launch on the Game Boy in 1991. Um... And a lot of these games, a vast majority of them never saw a worldwide release, you know, so given time and place, extremely niche, that's still a pretty good number for the amount that, like, you know, for the extremely niche appeal of the series. Um, I think it's a, it's one hell of a landmark, and I wonder how much of uh, Super Bowl Wars 30 did um, contribute to that 19 million. I really wonder how well this uh, game has been selling you know right
0: especially as an inflection point for a global release like a truly global release
2: even if yeah. even
0: if it's limited only to steam for, for yeah. official western releases but maybe an inflection point where it will will perform more strongly more strongly uh per entry mm-hmm. from this diving so I mean, it's, it's
2: it's it's uh it's remarkable to see hopefully we continue this trend of like global, global worldwide simultaneous releases for the series mm-hmm. um that be it's it's awesome, you know, i'm I'm always rooting for this series it's it's such a it's such a cool thing that you don't really see in any other series ever in video games, you know yeah so uh, here's to more you know why not uh thirty thirty years have have passed thirty years more let's go here we've got
0: a bunch of upcoming release dates for some uh for some indie games or some double a games or games that I've gotten uh kind of windows announced for for next year. So I'll just kind of semi rapid fire through these. Um, Mecha jammer is a horror CRPG uh, cyberpunk also where it's releasing on December 2nd. So this is from whale, Knot studios and an indie an indie studio.
2: This looks really cool. Uh, it, it's got of like a art.
0: really grungy kind of art style. So it's kind of, it's kind of that sort of uh, uh dystopian cyberpunk sort of feel to it uh we got wolf stride is launching for steam on december 7th and this is the game that josh you actually played when it was on the last uh steam festival correct
2: yeah yeah i, I wrote a preview up for it and I, I really liked what i saw it's such a it's a cool little like concept that they have on their hands and, like it's like a turn-based uh almost front mission style like head-to-head one v one but uh, large emphasis on like taking out parts Of the robot, each part has like their own separate HP. Yeah,
0: it's a a mecha brawler turn based RPG. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a cool thing. It's like it has this whole black and white uh, uh, tone to it, like a grayscale aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Loop Hero
0: is releasing for Nintendo Switch on December 9th. So this was a PC only release uh, that launched back in March, I believe. Game of company. Yeah, so when we discussed it back in March, We might have talked about how it would have been a good good fit on Switch. Uh, And it's now releasing on Switch in a couple weeks. So December 9th, Loop Hero on Switch. Uh, We got a port announcement for Vaporum Lockdown. It will be releasing on PlayStation consoles and Xbox One uh, on December 10th. I guess this had already been out on PC. This is kind of a first-person Grimrock-style dungeon crawler. So it released on PC uh, late last year, and I guess it released on Switch earlier this year, but now it is coming to the other consoles in December. Uh, Moon, which obviously released on Switch last year as a remaster from its original PlayStation One release, it actually made our top 10 RPGs. Uh, It'll be releasing for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on December 16th. What else do we got? uh Disgaea RPG which was has been available on mobile devices will be releasing uh in English on PC for Steam at some point in uh, either in December of this year or early next year in 2022 I guess it's already got a Japanese version on PC but this is for a I I don't
2: know I, I think the Japanese version is like on DMM games probably I don't I can't imagine it's on Steam um if it did get a PC release um and then the the English version came out I forget like several months ago on in English as well. So Right, yeah. So it's already available
0: in English uh, on mobile devices, but now it, and it's already available on PC in Japan and but now it's getting a Steam English release uh either next month or next year.
2: More mobile gotcha games on Steam. Woo That's <laughs> And go. Then,
0: uh this is a game that I think we covered when it got first announced. It's kind of a um an an indie souls like kind of um blood title which i know i know me just saying that i'm almost groaning at how like all <laughs> that sounds but it has a really interesting aesthetic with like plague doctors and things like that thymesia uh it was originally slated for this year and as you know it never really got its release date announced so we kind of figured it would be delayed into 2022 and uh team 17 the publisher behind it basically said that, yeah, they're planning to uh, delay until 2022. No no release date, just saying that, yeah, confirming that it's not coming this year. Finally, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, Fantasy Life Online will be ending service in Japan uh, in the middle of December, and this is coming not long after the announcement of Bolt Ren Games Games planning, planning to release Fantasy Life Online in the West. So... This is a kind of an interesting combination of announcements. That we don't know if this cancellation in Japan will affect the Western release, but I guess there's also precedent here based on the yep. Ark the Lad game. So, what what
2: yeah. happened in that case? Ark the Lad R, um, it's still going. I, I checked their Facebook like about a week or so ago. It's still doing like you know planned events and updates, even though it shut down in Japan. There's like a, like this is the second game consecutively for both Ren games where they announced the localization. Uh, a western release for a mobile game and then like a week or so later maybe you know the the, the, the Japanese publisher and developer is shutting doors for service so um, supposedly you know this will continue to run uh, as normally as it can until who knows when it's shutting down like aren't the ladders still going I don't know what the it, it must still have a user base or a player base of some sorts that's it's still worth justifying, yeah. Keeping services running, I guess. Yeah, even though they, as a pl- even, a, even though there's like a definite end end date, I imagine because there's only m- so you much. Would content. Presu-
0: you would presume they would do their market research and say like, all right, we can you know we can make this a profitable venture.
2: So and you, and you know what, there's not even I, I forgot if the Bolt Ren also localized and uh, Idola Fantasy Star Saga, the mobile game. Um, that shut. I I don't know if it if the Japanese game shut down already or the are is still just announced. But they definitely announced ending services for that in Japan. I don't know if they also announced that the English one is shutting down or not. I didn't look into that. Um, or if it, it's still just going to run as normal as well. Mm-hmm. So, Rand uh, uh really racking up a reputation for picking up games that are either have been announced to shut down or have already shut down in Japan. Um, this guy, RPG also by Boltrand. Uh, it's still ongoing um, for how long, who knows? But uh, yeah, that's yeah.
0: It's, it's kind of Ren like really a death now, now. like a black spot, like, uh
2: oh, Boltrand's yeah. involved. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, really weird stuff. Really weird stuff.
0: And that kind of covers us for this podcast. So uh, as normal this time of year, it seems like we have a lot of stuff sliding into place for Q1 of next year. Uh, we're finally getting an, an idea of what the slate of games is going to look like going into Game of the Year as an the game awards have kind of shown us what they're looking at and we're kind of getting our ideas together about what we want to f- kind of finalize and get looked at when we go into our own deliberations so cool to see the talk about pokemon about ruined king the hopefully uh, platinum ends up taking good feedback for babylon's fall and some of the updates for strangers of paradise and the rg studios games that are in the works as always, you can read all about the articles that we've talked about up on our website, including the Babylon's Fall Preview and the Monster Rancher Interview at RPGsite.net. Uh, you can follow us on any of the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We do currently have a Twitter giveaway for the next couple of days. I believe it's going through until Wednesday the 24th. For a chance to win the uh, Shin Megami Tensei Fall of Man edition, if you're living in North America, just go ahead and follow us and retweet that tweet uh, to have a chance to uh, enter that raffle. And uh, I do believe the plan is to meet back for the TetraCast next week, even though it'll be a couple days after the, uh, the holiday for some of us in North America. So you will likely hear from us then. Until then, stay safe. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. Ira Punk, let's go, Game of Wards. Woo!